Listeners, start your engines. Keeping our 12 Days of Crooked Table alive here. Yesterday's episode was The Matrix, our 2019 conversation with Freddie Yanis to talk about that movie. But a bit of an encore presentation over here joining the franchise Detours feed. Now we are presenting the 2020 conversation we had with Jackson Smith of Screen Fever and Nightfall Entertainment talking about The Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions. This was a epic conversation and we got into a lot of different details we previously had posted this on the what used to be the crooked table podcast feed which is now our sister show close watch but with the matrix resurrections right around the corner this felt like a good opportunity to bring the full matrix saga over to franchise detour so let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation with jackson smith about The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions, both from 2003. Enjoy. I believe it is our fate to be here. It is our destiny. I believe this night holds for each and every one of us the very meaning of our lives. This is a war, and we are soldiers. What if tomorrow the war could be over? Isn't that worth fighting for? Isn't that worth dying for? This week, we're going to be talking about The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions, the Matrix uh, sequel avalanche of content that came out in 2003, basically. <laughs> and of course, we had to bring back to the show our, who is fast becoming our three cool guy, uh, <laughs> Jackson Smith. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hold the, the honorary title of a three cool guy. I, I love me some three quals. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we we were on here talking about uh, Revenge of the Sith last year, and then yes. uh, and then mm-hmm. I you know announced the Harry Potter series that that we're just about done with now, finally, and really ill timed mm-hmm. considering everything with uh, She Who Must Not Be Named in, in this year. Yeah, I'm and so glad <laughs> we did that right before all that came out. Or we else really the conversation would have got really yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> so so you took Prisoner of Azkaban again, the third chapter there. And here we are now talking about Reloaded and the third film, Revolution. So before we get to all of that, uh, tell people listening that haven't here heard any of your previous episodes on the show a little bit about who you are, what you're up to these days. 
Sure. Well, yeah, I am uh, a podcaster, uh, filmmaker, writer. Uh, so I I do all sorts of stuff in the industry. I I direct. Uh, I'm currently writing uh, some web series for uh, the DC Kids uh, channel. Um, so uh, we do shows like Batman 101 and Building with Batman. Um, so that's kind of what I've been doing over the last couple of months is um, working on those shows. Um, and yeah, just directing directing personal projects on the side uh, my roommates and I we've got we've been getting really antsy in quarantine so a couple months ago we just started making like a short film just kind of in-house just with you know starring me and my my roommate Chris uh, Adam's actually probably editing it right now as we speak um, and that's that's been a lot of fun it's just been really great to get back behind the camera again because it's it's been hard to do that with you know a pandemic going on outside right um, for sure but yeah um uh, adam and i also have our own youtube channel where we post video essays and podcasts uh not so much recently again we've been super swamped with other stuff but uh we're hoping in the new year to get some more content up there so obviously the matrix is a warner brothers property you're working with dc and we're dropping this episode just a few days before Christmas, where we just learned yesterday as of this recording that Wonder Woman 1984 is going to be released simultaneously in theaters and uh, on HBO Max. So what is your, you know, as a inside DC person, what is kind of your take on all of that? Well, I think uh, I think this is uh, first of all, I, I I think this is probably coming from the studio because uh, I, I, mm-hmm. I think they are. I think they probably looked at the the box office numbers from Tenet, uh, and they probably looked at you know <laughs> the the COVID numbers that are <laughs> rising in the U.S. right now, and right. and I, I think they made a a decision to go forward in continuing to keep theaters alive and open, which I think is I think it's really important right now. Uh, if you can do it safely, like if you have proper safety precautions in place and if the theaters are open in places where cases are not skyrocketing, which is honestly, as of this recording, not a whole lot of places <laughs> uh, have yeah, places seriously. where cases aren't skyrocketing. But uh, but but I, I, I so I really appreciate that they're still trying to do that while also saying, hey, everybody is going to be at home for Christmas and they're going to want to watch a big movie with their family. So let's give them the option to safely watch it on HBO Max. I, I, I think it's a good best of both best of both worlds uh, scenario. Um, although honestly, I, I, I really don't even know how it's going to turn out because we're, we're recording this podcast in November and by the time it comes out, for all we know, all the theaters could be closed down again and this could all be a boot point. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a tricky game that I think all of the studios are, are playing right now. Cause it's like, at the end of the day, you want to, you want to keep the theaters at least open so that they don't close and the buildings get demolished. Cause nobody's going to rebuild them afterwards and you're going to need screens to, put movies on uh but you know at the end of the day nothing matters more than human life and and keeping people safe and and if if it's if it's just not plausible to safely put people in a in a room for two hours during a pandemic then you know what's what what needs to be done has to be done and it's 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 really tragic but i'm i've i've been pretty optimistic about just how theaters are just the the survival of theaters going forward. Like I think, I think the theatrical experience is something that's so precious to people. Uh, and even if it comes back 
in in a bit of a limited capacity, I, I really don't think it's going away. I think I think if Wonder Woman twenty twenty four or whatever the next movie is going to be is is going definitely going to come out in theaters and probably going to make a billion dollars, <laughs> whatever it does. So. Yeah, I feel I feel like I've been looking at Wonder Woman 1984 as sort of the litmus test because you know we both agree that it, it would have essentially been the the big hit of the summer. Obviously, certainly one of the most anticipated, and I I think that this is as you said probably the the best of both worlds, and that at least it still accounts for theaters. It's still you're still at least making mm-hmm. at least making the appearance of trying to take theaters into account. Like you said, whether or not they're actually open to screen Wonder Woman is, is another issue entirely. But I think had they just cut the theaters out and gone straight to HBO Max, I feel like that's would have been almost a, a the, at least to me would have felt kind of like a death knell for theaters. But the fact that they're including that in it yeah, in the, the plan, yeah. I feel like that's at least given me something to hold on to and, and hope for. Uh, whenever mm-hmm. you know the world, if the world ever comes back around again, but um, but yeah, so hopefully that will happen. But um, in the meantime, I guess this yeah. is it makes more sense than kicking it another six months, another six months down down the line because studios, and yeah, everybody wants their profit share of these, of these you know two hundred million dollar <laughs> movies. So it's like you can only hold it for so long. Yeah, I just hope theaters are back in full swig by this time next year because mm. I want to see Matrix Four on the biggest screen possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is sure. like a that is going to be like a that is going to be like an IMAX 3D experience, and I am I I we need to at least keep theaters alive so that we can we can have that whatever it's going to be. So yeah, just yeah, just get us there, uh, <laughs> Hollywood. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's the per- and that's the perfect segue as. Uh, I, I'm actually dropping this the I, I, the exact day a year before a Matrix Four hits theaters. So uh, when you're listening to this, if you're listening to it the day it drops, one year from now, according to plan, again everything's subject to change now. Uh, <laughs> Matrix Four, whatever it will be titled, will be released somewhere. Let's hope theaters, but released somewhere uh, is the is, is mm-hmm. the plan at the moment. So. I think before we get into these movies specifically, obviously uh, we talked about the first one before I had my brother Freddie on and we did a, a like, I don't know, two mm-hmm. and a half hours <laughs> talking about that. I actually split That was back when I was splitting long episodes in half and then I was just like, ah, take the hell with it. Um, nah, uh, so that nah. is, it's essentially my favorite, my favorite movie, the first matrix. Where do you stand mm-hmm. on the Wachowskis overall? And then specifically this franchise? My dad, of course, showed me Matrix when I was in high school because I got really into like sci-fi and cyberpunk uh, when I when I was a freshman. And he was like, "Oh, cool! I have all these awesome movies to show you." Like he showed me Minority Report, he showed me Blade Runner, uh, and he showed me Matrix. And I didn't like it when it came when when I saw it. I, I mean, I thought the action was cool, and I was like, "Oh, you know, this is really fun to look at." But I was like, it was just a, it was like a little too heady. And there was just like a little too much exposition and stuff going on for me at the time. Uh, but the older, I think it's the, the older and wiser that I've gotten as a human being, the more I have loved these movies to the point where, yeah, I think the first Matrix is probably in my top 10 
ever. I think it's probably, I think it is legitimately like a perfect movie. I don't think there's anything about that movie that should change or could be better. I think it's just like a stone cold classic. And, and I love it. I mean, I love, I love how complex the themes are. I love how well-rounded the world is. I, I love how it just smashes together all of these different styles of filmmaking and all of these different genres and blends it all into something that feels like totally unique. I, I'm, I'm obsessed with it. I think it's, I think it's so cool. Uh, and, and I think the sequels were, were very much the same way. Like I, uh, you know, of course when my dad showed me matrix, he also showed me the, the other two and I, I liked them even less. I was like, I was like, ah, oh, these are even more confusing. These are even more <laughs> convoluted. Um, but, 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 uh, but over the last several years, and specifically on on this most recent rewatch that I did for this podcast, feel like I can pretty confidently say that I think the Matrix trilogy is on par with the original Star Wars trilogy. If not, wow. actually, maybe a little bit better. Yeah, no, I mean, I know that's like a bold statement, but that it's is like a bold statement. both are instances. Yeah, well, it's like both are instances where you have supremely is a either one or two in the case of the Wachowskis, but like supremely talented genius filmmakers mm-hmm. who got basically all the money in the world to do whatever the hell they wanted and yeah. pulled it off. And I, you know, that's such, that's such a rarity. You know, I feel like that's probably going to be the case with James Cameron's next slate of Avatar movies, but it's like, it, it, it only happens, something like that really only happens once every several decades. So, so, you know, and I think the Matrix trilogy it's a great series of movies it all it all strings together so well it it feels so cohesive all of all three of the movies and we'll talk about this more on the podcast but all three of them have their own like unique personalities and they're a, kind of their own unique styles and are good for their own reasons um and yeah no i i love them i think they're great and and i love the wachowskis too i i cloud atlas is another one of those movies that i i i think is just a classic i think that movie is amazing and unbelievable <laughs> that it that it exists yeah. um yeah even if they don't always hit the mark, like I wasn't the biggest fan of Jupiter Ascending. Uh, they're always doing something interesting and they're, uh, they're so, so smart and such, such incredible filmmakers. And um, I'm, I'm just so thankful that even, even though their stuff has been not always well received by critics and or audiences that, that, that studios continue to give them money to do what they see in their head because it's, it's, you know, yeah, sometimes you'll end up with Jupiter ascending where it's like, everybody's kind of like, Oh, that was weird. (laughs) And then sometimes you end up with something like set. And then sometimes you end up with something like sense eight where it becomes like a cultural phenomena and, and beloved by so many people. So it's like, I, I, I love the Wachowskis. I think they're, I think they're a treasure. And, and I, and I do think the the matrix is their magnum opus. I think it's a, it's a, it, it, it just, as a, as a thing, it's, it's incredible. It's, I'm so excited to talk about it. (laughs) So I agree with a lot of what you said. So um, I saw The Matrix, I was 16 when it came out. So I saw it in theater, actually almost 16 when it came out. Uh, So I was in high school when it came out. And then, you know, I I had that experience where it's basically the movie that made me a cinephile. It's the one where I realized, oh, this is, this was influenced by this. And this is symbolic of this. It's like, it's the one that like cracked the code for me. And that's why I I consider it my favorite movie Mm -hmm. or, or like, you know, one of, and, um, 
And so I had that experience that it broke my little 16-year-old brain, the big twist and what the <laughs> Matrix actually is, because I'd never seen anything like that before. It, all, it was always like Batman movies yeah. or like, you know, Jurassic Park or like things like mm-hmm. that, which are also great movies, but not nearly as cerebral as the Matrix is. And then I had four years of, uh, you know, anticipation to the sequels. So I had, I was much more, I didn't get to see them for four years, obviously. So, so when they did arrive, I feel like the expectations were so high that I still, I, I enjoy the sequels. I don't enjoy them as nearly as much as you do, but I do think they're really interesting films. And I feel like they have a similar uh, reputation to like when we talked about Revenge of the Sith, where they came out and people were like, oh, this is, this is lumped in with, you know, this is not worth it. It's just the one, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to, um, it's just dismissed basically out of hand. I feel like a lot of people are mm-hmm. put the first matrix yeah. on a p- pedestal and then you're like, and then they made sequels. But no, 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 we don't need to talk about this. And I feel like there's so much in here to talk about. And uh, the Wachowskis, oh, like you yeah. said, a hundred percent agree. Uh, are so ambitious and like, you know, you hear the term visionary thrown in a lot in marketing from mm-hmm. the visionary filmmaker of blah, blah. It's like, but these, these are filmmakers that actually earn that title. Like I are I, visionary. I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love, uh, you know, despite it's there, it's flaws or whatever, but I love speed racer. I love cloud Atlas, uh, bound, which is the one before the before matrix, uh, is also I've a never great actually the only seen one that, that one. I, I've heard. It's really that, good. You should check yeah. it out. Yeah, because it's it's yeah, that well. small indie movie that they made before they were given the chance to make Matrix. And then since then, Warner Brothers, I think specifically, has been like, what, 100 million, 150 million? Here you go, figure it out. You gave us Matrix. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and you've gotten, we've gotten some wild shit because of that. And I, and I, that's why <laughs> whenever they come out with something, whether it works or it doesn't work, and you know, I'm in the camp that Jupiter Ascending didn't really work, uh, I still would prefer yeah, that over <laughs> another Transformers or another, you know, whatever. It's more, it's got a lot more interesting ideas going on than, and I love the Marvel movies than most of the MCU. You know what I mean? Uh, I think it's, yeah, they no. are, they are unique in that way. And it feels like the kind of filmmaker that Hollywood doesn't normally put money behind as much anymore. So whenever they come out with something, I tend to want to support it. Dude, I, I, I was talking about this with my roommate after we watched it, you know, the, the, like something like the matrix trilogy would just never happen nowadays. Yeah. Like it would never like, like a studio would never ever give that much money to a, a an original idea, <laughs> like something that's not based off of any IP or doesn't have any right. brand recognition, but it's also that like ambitious and uh, over the top and crazy. Like, like what you mean? Like all the humans are like, batteries in this futuristic machine world nobody's gonna pay to see that shit like you know it's like but but that they did back then in 1999 they did give them the money to do it and it resulted in yeah i think probably one of if not the best action movie ever made and at least in my opinion one of the best movie trilogies of all time so so i i i think it's proof i think it's proof that if you get if you have really really smart visionary filmmakers and and trust them then you you end up with with really excellent stuff that people do go see um and and so i i just i just wish that studios did that more cuz i'm i'm tired of like Lion King two and the Alice in well, Wonderland two and and, and what pisses another me off. another Batman movie like I mean yeah. I love Batman movies but it's like yeah I mean it, we just yeah, yeah. Ben Affleck literally <laughs> Easy like yeah. it, it just just hung up the cape 
uh, kind of. I mean, we have yeah. the, the Justice exactly. League, uh, Snyder cut. So who knows what the hell's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel like yeah. the only filmmaker nowadays, and again, Warner Brothers backed, that could pull something like that off is Christopher Nolan. Uh, I, I think mm-hmm. that things like, I still haven't seen Tenet because I'm not going to a theater right now and uh, it's yet available. Yeah. So uh, for home viewing, um, but something like Inception is maybe the only, one of the only big blockbuster expensive movies that feels like it's trying to challenge the audience a little bit with the, with the concepts that it's bringing yes. up and like the, yes. the, the dreams within dreams and how they jump and like how time fluctuates and some of those, like it actually, it actually pushes the audience to, uh, to pay attention and not just let it all wash over them mindlessly. Uh, like ninety, not ninety-five percent of movies do these days, but um, but yeah, I, I think yeah. Nolan's one of the only ones left. And Cameron, I mean, like I think I Cameron, think, I, I, yeah. I have a feeling. Yeah, I have a feeling the Avatar sequels are gonna kind of be like the Matrix sequels in the sense that, like, I think they're gonna be really cool. I have a fair amount of confidence that whatever he's cooking up in his head is gonna be really awesome, but. Mm. I have no idea how people are going to react to it. I, it'll be it'll be very interesting to see because um, they they're they're also like they're Disney is hoping to make those like the Christmas movies for the rest of the decade, basically. And I'm like, <laughs> pretty much. We'll see, we'll see about yeah. that. Um, but I think they'll be good. I think they'll be pretty cool. I, I I've learned never to bet against James Cameron, so we'll for see. sure. Uh, I think we're just about ready to delve into these two movies. So before we do that, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer, I guess for Matrix Reloaded, uh, right now. All of our lives, we have fought this war. Tonight, I believe we can end it. That's a nice trick. Huh. Of course. Mr. Anderson. Surprised to see me? So now he's found a way to copy himself. Now there's more than one of them. A lot more. trailer for the matrix reloaded from 2003 directed by the wachowskis and i i i also love the fact that this is one of the i guess the the pirates movies did this but it's one of the only instances in the last couple decades that we've seen two movie sequels filmed back to back you know we had um Back to the Future back in the day, Lord of the Rings, these pirates, and then Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame. But these are, I think, unique in that they came out the exact same year. So Reloaded came out in May, Revolutions in November, and they just let people stew for those seven months. Uh, So what are your (laughs) thoughts on, first of all, uh, I, I remember a quote that someone said in Piece of the Marketing. I think it was... Lawrence Fishburne, but I'm not 100%, that said the first movie is about birth, the second movie is about life, and the third movie is about death. Do you think that the, this movie builds on the conclusion of, uh, of the first one in, an, in a satisfying way? Because there are some changes right off the bat. Neo is obviously way more overpowered than he was at the, at the end of the first one, we, he, we, we, which we saw him take flight. Now he's like 
Superman, essentially, as Link points out. Uh, but Tank is gone. Marcus Chong was obviously, I guess, difficult to work with. So they're just like, oh, he died off screen. Um, are, do you think that the movie yeah. has any any hurdles that it fails to overcome in trying to just get past that for, you know, recreate the world of the first movie, basically? I I think I... I think Reloaded is a is a really great sequel in the sense that it 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 picks up really really well where the first one left off. Like the first one ends and you're like, okay, Neo is the one. He is like this universe's version of Superman, and right. now the humans have a shot at beating the machines. So it's like I think the first one sets up the rest of the trilogy really well, and the, and and the second one I think really hits the ground running in that sense. You really get to see, you really get to see how powerful Neo is, but you also get to see sort of what his limitations are. You get to see like you know, there there's still stuff about this world that he hasn't figured out yet. You know, there's, there is now like a ticking clock, you know, the machines are coming to Zion. And if he can't find a way to stop them in time, then basically humanity is going to be enslaved for the rest of time. So it's like, it's, you know, I think any good, any good three part story, you know, whether it's Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or Matrix, I think the second chapter is all of, I think I think a good second chapter is all about really raising the stakes and really saying mm-hmm. like, no, things are not as simple. Things are not as simple as you thought they were. This is going to be really hard and there's going to be a lot more to overcome if you're going to win in the end, you know, and it's like I, you know, in Empire, that is the, you know the empire striking back, you know, and, you know, Darth Vader being Luke's father. And in this movie, it's, it's, Neo is constantly coming up against this powerlessness that he has uh, to, or this powerlessness to change the way things are. You know, the movie starts out when you see Trinity dying and the whole time he's like, I have to be able to change this, right? Like I have to be able, I have to be, able to save her. I, I have to have that choice. And, and, and I think what's so good about the second one is it really dives into the nature of choice and how, and how the, the machines have set it up to where it's kind of impossible to, <laughs> to choose anymore because they've outsmarted us as humans. But mm-hmm. um, it, 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 it makes the movie so much richer and more satisfying, I think. Yeah, I love that it, it opens with a dream. You know, the whole the whole uh, one of the major themes of the first movie is you know you're li- you've been living in a dream world neo and the whole dreams versus reality so you literally start the movie off thinking you're in the middle of an action sequence and then oh you're in a dream so it's already throwing you off balance right right out the gate and i and i mm-hmm. think it shows that neo's abilities are already starting to uh, starting to expand like now he has visions uh, and as we learn later on like his power extends beyond uh, beyond the Matrix, even uh, one of the things that I feel like, well, I already mentioned the thing with Tank that kind of feels a little jarring because it's set a few months after the first movie. I, Tank was actually a pretty popular character in the first one. Did you miss? Did you yeah. did that register? Were you like, hey, whatever, screw that guy? I did. It did. Yeah. I mean, it 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 obviously it's like you know 
I don't know what happened with the I don't know what right. the situation with the actor was. Um I but it it was kind of disappointing because it's like you, you you they set up that character to be somebody who is going to come who is going to show up for the rest of the franchise. Um and then they kind of replace him with um uh Link in the in mm-hmm. the in the in the sequel movies. Um who's who kind of is he fulfills the same function as a character, but it's like it. I don't. It. It's. It's one of the few things about these movies that doesn't feel very cohesive. Right. Um. But I mean, that's. It's. It's inevitable. It's like. It's like. Um. It's like too. I felt. I felt that with. Um. Gloria. Um. Gloria Foster, Gloria Foster who died. Yeah. I think before they before they were able to shoot her parts for the third one, so they recast right. her in the third one. Um. It's just stuff like that where it's like you know people are people. Stuff tragedy happens. Relationships fall apart, and then. Right. You have to find a way to move on and work with it in a production. Um, and sometimes you can do that really well. And I thought I think these movies actually did a did a pretty good job uh, in sort of filling those empty cast positions and making it and making it work. Um, uh, and then sometimes you end up with something like Rise of Skywalker, where it's like it doesn't quite work. <laughs> it feels a little weird. So um, still a little you know, raw. Still just, a little raw. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Shit happens. You know. So yeah. Yeah. I, I think the big challenge with this one, well, first of all, before we get to that, I want to say that uh, I, I actually, I always kind of bothers me that, that the Sentinel thing happens like literally, like they discovered the, the, um, the machines digging literally like the, the five minutes into the movie, because to me, it feels like they're already, it feels like the last movie in the, in the franchise in a way, you know what I mean? Like they're setting up for like the ticking mm-hmm. clock is feels so imminent that it feels like the end. And you're like, but, it just, Neo just said it. Like, if you're watching these movies back to back, Neo's like, I'm not here to show you how, tell you how it's going to end. I'm here to tell you how it's going to begin. And then the next thing they're like, oh, it's all over. We're screwed, guys. It feels to me like, mm. like almost, I've had this like, fa- this fantasy in my head of taking reloaded and revolutions and sort of editing a, a more streamlined cut together. And like, it feels like it would have been together a good third part. And that there's something missing. Like to me, there always felt like there was a step missing in between uh, the original film and Reloaded. But it, you know, do you do you disagree? It seems mm. like it's, it feels like a pretty smooth smooth transition. It 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 did for me. I I mean I like like I said I just watched them all back to back, and I I you know it it they I, honestly the most jarring the really the most jarring t- transition between the movies aside from the. Um, tank not being there anymore uh it's just the, the the jump in quality honestly like it was like i i think the the first the first matrix part of what made the first matrix cool was how practical so much of it was mm-hmm. like it was like that like stuff like that helicopter crash and 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 all of those fight scenes they just had a they had a tactile element to them which made the which made all the fantastical elements in there all the more fantastical um whereas like these with the sequels they obviously had like all the money in the world at their disposal mm-hmm, yeah. and and it's very very it's very very obvious i don't think that's a bad thing necessarily i know people like to dunk on the matrix sequels because it's like oh now neo's just flying around all the time and it's like i, I mean it does maybe look a little weird but it's like i don't know i mean you see him flying around in the very last shot of the first one so it's not right it's it's it's, it's not they that it's not that over least, the top yeah. um yeah I mean, in, in regards to the whole planning, planting the the threat on Zion, I think they 
but my theory is this, and this is just a this is just a long shot theory. But I, I think the reason they did, I think the reason they part of the reason they did these two sequels back to back and kind of treated them as one production and had them had them flow into each other so well and release them the same year is probably mm. because like. I, you know, what you don't want to do is you don't want to end up in a situation where you do a second movie and set up a bunch of shit and then not get to, and then not get to make the third movie because that one doesn't do very well. They were kind of Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, if we're going to make a trilogy, let's like, let's, let's make sure we can make the, the last two movies to the best of our ability. Um, and so it's like, I think that's why that, that's why they set that up in this movie. That's why they, that's why it's, you're, you're told constantly, Oh, the machines are coming. They're digging through, they're going to get to Zion and this, this long. So that it's like, when this movie ends, you're like, wait a minute, the machines are going to get to Zion in, in this long. Like, oh my gosh. Like, I, I remember even the first time I saw it, I would like the movie ended and I immediately I was like, well, wait, I want to, I want to see the next one. I want, I want to know what yeah. happens. Like what happened to Zion? Like what happened to everybody? You know? So it's like it, you know, whereas I think if they had been treated a little bit more like individual productions, it, they probably would have saved something like that for the last movie. But, uh, but like I said, I mean, like as, as someone who just watched them all the way through, I think, I think it, they flow into each other pretty well. There, there were, there were, there was, there was no moment in this trilogy where I was like, Oh, that felt too forced. Or, oh, that did, that mm. that felt a little like. I mean, maybe like individual performances and individual scenes and moments feel right, a little right. forced or not quite well calibrated. But I think as a, I think as a piece of as a piece of long form storytelling, actually, I think it's like it's it's surprisingly cohesive. I think it's a lot more cohesive than something like Marvel. I mean, like those movies are like they're they're all great but i you know we did a my roommates and i did a marvel rewatch at the beginning of this mm. uh at the beginning of the pandemic and you'd be shocked how how not well a lot of those flow into each other like it's like you can right. kind of tell that it's like every one of those movies is a new filmmaker picking up the baton and doing their own thing with it whereas these are like i think these are pretty they're pretty uniform i think i think the only the only big Maybe I, I think it's not that it feels forced to me. It's that it feels really abrupt. And I think the part of that is that the Wachowskis had this multimedia plan uh, that included Reloaded and Enter the Matrix, the video game, and the Animatrix. So the Animatrix, I don't, I don't know if you've even seen, there's one segment called Final Flight of the Osiris that is actually the ship that discovers that the machines are digging and sends the message to... Uh, Ooh. For for you know for everyone else to go and retrieve that's the message that yeah. in the video game uh, in the video game you play as Niobe and Ghost who is, uh, is sort of her second her her second in command on on uh, the logos mm-hmm. and you so you play as those two characters and there's actually a mission where you go to retrieve that that message and then the movie starts with them wow. coming back with the message like there's there's a whole other th- there's a bunch of stuff that happens in the game. Uh, that hints more at Niobe's uh, feelings for Morpheus. Uh, Ghost has sort of an unrequited feel, unrequited love for Trinity that's in the game. Um, there's Ooh. all these like oh, wow. character <laughs> beats and and stuff that that sets up the, um, the the freeway chase that sets up the Oracle and her her, you know, her changed appearance. There's even a detail in there that I'd never noticed before because I watched all the footage for the video game. Uh, where Sati's parents, uh, Ramakandra and 
Kamala. Uh, or Kamala. I think yeah, he says Kamala. Yeah. I now I've been trained to to say yeah. uh, Kamala because of our vice Mama, president. Yeah. Oh, so now yeah. It's, oh yeah. Yeah. It's all confusing. Yeah. Um, so Sati's parents that they, they they sold the termination code um, to the uh, for the Oracle uh, old shell to the Merovingian in order to get Sati's freedom. Like there's a whole bunch of things oh, <clears throat> that are in there. Wow that are not in the movies. And I think it, it, it loses a little bit of that. Uh, I don't know. It loses a little bit of that consistency or coherence in, in, in service of, you know, telling the story across various media. Interesting. Well, I mean, I, I just taking those things as examples, like I, like the whole thing with ghost having unrequited love for Trinity. Well, like, that's, that's kind like, of, just oh, wow, like I didn't they got to give him need. something to play, but yes. Yeah. That's kind of, it's kind of whatever, but even, you, even, do you even know who the, ghost uh, is without me? Like <laughs> he's exactly he's barely well, like, in the, the movies. The, the, yeah. Well, because the important thing, right. Is Niobe's relationship with Morpheus uh, but that does get touched on in the movie. So, so they, they tell you kind of from the onset, oh, they had a thing. She doesn't really believe in his stuff. And, and, and they, I, I felt like, at least personally, I felt like that tension was properly set up uh, in mm-hmm. the context of the movies. But I think, I think here's the thing. Like the purpose of stuff like video games and supplementary materials is to sort of fill out the world. So you right. shouldn't have to get, you shouldn't have to get information that you need to to get the story from those things, um, not to bring it back to Rise of Skywalker, but like I shouldn't have to play <laughs> Fortnite to hear the thing that they're right. actually talking about in the movie. <laughs> the dead um, speak, but like, though, e- 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 uh, yeah, exactly. But like, I don't know what. Like, based on what you've told me, I think based on what you've told me, it sounds like they kind of did the right thing, where they were like, you could you could do what I did and just watch the movies and and get like a really complete version of the story and a complete mm-hmm. version of the themes. But if you also played the games and you also watch Animatrix in that, you would understand more context. You would understand, you know, there are new characters who get who get fleshed out and have their own things. Like that's right. what's cool about having having an expanded universe. And I and I just I, I think it's so cool that they got to do that with yeah this property because that's that's something that you almost always that you saw with like Star Wars and and movies made for children. So it was like cool to have a big R-rated action movie that was like, oh, if you like that, there's also a video game. There's also an anime anthology movie. There's also a this, <laughs> there's also a that. It's a, I think I think it's cool. And I, I mean, again, I haven't seen those things, so I can't really speak to this, but it seems like they did a pretty good job of balancing that with what you, what you get already just watching the movies. Right. Yeah, I, I promise. I really, I promise. I do like these movies. It sounds like I, do, I don't so far because I'm getting all my grievances out of the way now. <laughs> but it's just also this movie had. It feels very top heavy. You know what I mean? Like it has to set up the the big. It is uh, the big heavy, finale. Yeah. It has to introduce you to everyone outside because the first movie is very isolated. It's like a bottle episode of of this universe. It's mm-hmm. all on that one ship with this yeah. one crew. There's like six characters basically and that's it. Uh, and mm-hmm. here you're, you mm-hmm. have to meet literally yeah. everyone in Zion. You have to understand the, uh, the military, the political structure, like um, <laughs> they have to bring Smith back, uh, set up what he's up to explain how everything fits together. And that's before you get to the architect and he just like 
throws the whole flips the whole table over and and you have to start over again blows the whole premise uh, up basically yeah right. oh and i love i love that scene which we'll get to which initially when the first oh, time you watch oh, you're yeah. like wait what what's happening that's why like they, they make fun yeah. of it in scary movie three with george carlin they did a, a whole mtv movie awards thing oh, with do Will they attack oh man online. i have to watch that um oh that's it's, funny it's really funny uh so yeah so it, it's just it, it feels like here they they have so many boxes they need to check and it takes like I don't know, maybe 45 minutes for them to be like, all right, everybody good? Cool, we're going now. And then I think it really kicks into gear yeah. when he meets with the Oracle. So, but before we get to that, you have to get yeah. the agents and and all. Um, so, so, okay, we're going all over the place. So uh, I do really love that so much of the emotional hook of this movie rests on Neo and Trinity's romance. I mean, as it sort of did in the first one as well. Uh, I think the fact that, and I mentioned this with Freddie when we talked about the first movie, the first, the, the fact that the, that, Keanu Reeves is a man, but has sort of feminine features. And Carrie Ann Moss is a is a woman, but has like a little bit harder edged features. I think they they play off uh, really well a lot of the themes on identity and gender, and and they have sort of this. They both have this sort of uh, androgynous elements to them that I I know is something that the uh, the Wachowskis explore in greater detail in something like Sense Eight. So I love that 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 aspect mm-hmm. of yeah. their relationship and and Reeves and and Moss have have such chemistry. Just why I'm so happy somehow they're both coming back for the fourth one. Uh, what are your thoughts on yeah. the Neo Trinity romance and and how it plays into? I mean, it's kind of the key to everything here, literally. It is. It is kind of the key to everything. And I, I, I you know, I I think they're both like excellent actors. I mean, I think Carrie Ann Moss is like a genius actress. I think I like, I've, I haven't seen her in anything. I think, I think she should have gotten an Emmy for, for Jessica Jones personally, but like she's, yeah, she's, she's incredible. Keanu Reeves is just such a, is such a lovable presence, but I, I think you touched on like a really good point. I think what makes, I think what makes that romance so different and revolutionary from other Hollywood romances is how, how non-gendered it feels like Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's, it's like, she's, she's, she is a damsel in distress technically in this movie, but it never feels like that. Like it, it, it never feels like, Oh, he's, he's, you know, he's coming, he's coming to save his woman. It's like, it's not like that. They're, they're two incredibly, incredibly strong, smart, driven people uh, who have found each other and love each other very much. One of them just also happens to be a, God computer program as well. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but exactly. it's like it, uh, yeah, no, I think, the, I think they sell it really well. You know, I mean, like I'm, I'm jumping forward, I'm jumping forward a bit, but the, they've got some scenes in, uh, in revolutions that I think are just like, just beautiful and, and, and really well done. I, I, I think they did a great job. I'm very interested to see what, how they're going to be used in the fourth one. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm very curious about a lot of things with that movie, but it's like you have two characters who are, you know, spoiler alert, dead, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like ha- you know, also like had kind of their relationship, like had their relationship, I think, play out in, 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 a really, in a really solid, satisfying way. So, yeah, very interested to see what they're... Yeah, I think that's gonna Keanu be. dropped a, a you know, tidbit a few weeks ago or whatever that Matrix 4 is a love story. And I'm like, dude, these are all love stories. What are you talking about? Like, at their core, these, this, this movies, these movies really are about, 
Neo's love for Trinity and that relationship. It, it all hinges on it. She brings him back kind of in the first one. He brings her back yeah. here. They sort of both sacrifice themselves mm. at the end of Revolutions. Again, spoilers. Um, it, it's it, the whole <laughs> architect scene hinges on his love for Trinity over the rest of humanity. He's like, yeah, okay, we'll figure out the rest of humanity. We'll get there. Exactly. But I have to save Trinity. Yeah. So everybody else is going to have to fend for themselves in the meantime. Um, so I love that that, yeah. that is where, you know, it seems like they're really focusing on that, uh, that part of the story with the fourth one. And also yeah. that rave scene in Zion, the sort of infamous rave scene, which I'm kind of like, eh, with that scene overall, I do love that it is intercut with a legit sex scene with Neo and Trinity that they're so yeah. passionate and that yeah. again, they sort of blend together in a way that when they're holding, you get that beautiful shot of them sort of holding each other. He gets like a flash of her falling. Oh, I love uh, that shot. And they, they're oh, sort of wrapped yeah. around each other and then you can see all their, this sounds dirtier than it is, their holes, <laughs> their matrix jack-in yeah. holes, like from the, from being plugged into <laughs> yeah. the pods. Uh, I love that because it's, it's so intimate and and sweet and genuine and, and I think that one moment sells their relationship so much. Let's talk about the the that scene for a bit because I because that was I, that was a sweaty Zion rave and I watched it this last uh, yeah the sweaty Zion rave slash sweaty sex scene uh, like yeah. my when my roommate and I watched it like he was like oh oh. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. You know, and I, and it's, it's a weird, it's a weird scene, but I also like, I, I, I love it in the way that I, I love all of the Zion stuff in these movies. Cause it's like, yeah, going back to what you said, like in the first Matrix movie, all you're getting of the real world is just what's happening on that ship, you know? Right. And it's like, you know, it's like, obviously they're, it's post-apocalyptic. Everybody's wearing like really grungy clothes and this and that, but it's like, you know, it's, you get just a small slice of it. Um, and everything in the Matrix has sort of has a, has a feeling of irreality to it. Everything is a little cold and plastic and caustic and everything's like green tinted. So it's like, I, I think what I like about that scene, at least in theory, I mean, execution is another is another discussion, but what I love about that moment is it's like, it's the first time, it's the first time in the, in the series that you get to see sort of humanity in full force. Right. You know, you get to see people dancing and being alive in the way that they're just never in the matrix because they're not really they're hooked into a an ai program so um so i think it's like i think it's cool that they put that in there because it's it 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 sets the stakes and it 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 sets the tone for the real world really well uh cuz that's where the the majority of the third movie is set but it also gives you a sense of what is at stake here you know it's like like what is going to be destroyed if the machines reach zion it's like the uh, the, the last sliver of humanity the last sliver of actual humanity is at stake here so um yeah and i you know i mean the wachowskis love a good love a good rave like they you know, <laughs> <laughs> of a good a lot of attractive people half naked and dancing it's like it's 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 what it is i don't know i i agree though yeah. i think that should that fu that final shot of that sex scene is so so beautiful um just just really really amazing composition and and haunting in the best possible way yeah i think the part of what makes the the rave scene stand out so much too is it, it immediately follows sort of a an assembly of all the citizens of zion and then counselor Haman, who i actually think is a cool character and has that scene later on um with neo about the man you know the yeah. machine mm -hmm. and how they they mm -hmm. you know 
these machines keep us alive and other machines are coming to kill us. Uh, yeah. that, that whole scene, which I yeah. actually really enjoy, uh, is that it goes from him introducing Morpheus, Morpheus giving his like inspirational speech and he's like, tonight, let us have a sweaty rave and it just cuts immediately to that. <laughs> and it's, just the, the, <laughs> it's just like, there's like no transition. It just kind of goes for it and you know, more power to the Wachowskis if that was their vision. It's just like, wait, what's happening? Um, it just kind of throws you off a little bit. <laughs> It does. I, another thing I love about that whole moment, that whole sequence too, is it's like up till that point in the movie, like Morpheus is kind of painted as like a pariah politically. Like every, like yeah. nobody really wants to listen to him. Everybody's always like, oh, we can't. It's like, shut up, Morpheus. Like you and your religious dogma shit, you know? And it's like, it, like the, uh, you, you know, the president won't listen to him. The The head general is livid at him for going against his orders and you're like oh they're screwed and then he like goes in front of everyone in zion and they are they all just lose their shit they love him like like the people the people love him he's a rock star because it's like he gives them hope he gives them he's he gives them a reason to keep he gives them a reason to keep fighting and a reason to keep believing and i think i think you see that so concretely um in that in that in that scene and in that monologue which lawrence fishburne just nails (laughs) Mm -hmm. nails the hell out of when he just like goes up and 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 gives this big epic speech. It's it's fantastic. It's interesting too to see what they end up doing with Morpheus in these two movies because he he could have easily been sort mm-hmm. of the Obi Wan Kenobi fa- uh, figure where he brings Neo into the world and he's like, all right, I'm out, good luck. And you know they keep him exactly. around in the sequels. Meanwhile, Neo is well past kind of needing his mentoring anymore. Uh, to to back it up a little, we get the the sort of crew meeting with Niobe. And then we get our first hint of Smith with the uh, the earpiece. Mm-hmm. And then the agents come in, the upgrades, which I, I really like that. You get a little bit of, uh, of a sense of how Neo's skill within the Matrix has changed so much uh, since the last yeah. time we saw him. Uh, you get that Furious Angels track by Rob Dugan, which, by the way, the music in these movies is amazing. Don Davis did a tremendous score for all three of these. And I think it's important that we, we give him his props as well. Yeah. I will say I'm jumping a little ahead here, but since you brought up yeah. music, I was oh, we're all over the place. so I I I was acute I was acutely disappointed when when the third movie didn't end with a Rage Against the Machine song because the other oh, two yeah. do. Like I'm just like it's it it's it's always the perfect send out, just like yeah, we are raging against the machine. It's really what all these movies are about. And then the third movie just ends with like, or like big orchestral music. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, but that big orchestral <laughs> music is pretty music. epic. That's the, that's not, it's oh, pretty oh, epic. Oh, I did score you. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> the, the scores for these movies are, are like, like honestly, every other element to these movies, truly excellent. So, yeah. So I also no think it's interesting there. too. And, at the beginning of Reloaded, we have, uh, I think, Daniel Bernhardt as Agent Johnson, who's also coming back for four, apparently, which should be interesting yes, yeah, how, yeah. how that works. I, I guess he's going to be sort of the, the whatever the lead agent is in the next version, the, the new version of The Matrix. I, I have no idea what the hell's going to happen with mm-hmm, that. But mm-hmm. I think he, uh, he, he's good in this movie as sort of the Smith replacement. Uh, and he also ha- has a fight scene with Keanu in, I believe, the first John Wick movie, too. So they're, they're tight in real life. Oh, wait, which, which, which fight scene was that? Uh, I think it's one of the ones almost at the very end. It's, uh, it's like the, the, before he gets to, 
uh, I have to, have to rewatch that movie. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, it's one of the last couple fight scenes. Oh, I, I remember. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I just, I just Googled, um, uh, uh, Daniel Bernhardt, John Wick. Yeah. Uh, that was another yeah. trilogy that my roommates and I actually watched recently, oh, great. um, which was also pretty cool, but, um, yeah. Um, another Keanu Reeves <laughs> discussion for a different. Yeah, I know. Well, well, yeah, yesterday I was, I was finishing up some work and watching Bill and Ted face the music on my phone and then watched revolutions. Oh, and cool. I was like, too late. Otherwise, I would totally watch Parabellum right now. Uh, just making like a Keanu like third chapter like evening, but uh, yeah, I didn't get to it, unfortunately. Um, a three-a-thon. So, yeah, exactly. Keanu three-a-thon. Three uh, so we do see Zion in here. It's, it's at the center of the earth, obviously all of that. What are your thoughts on how well the movie establishes not only the design of Zion, but also I mean, I, I feel like within the span of 10 minutes, we meet the, the kid, we meet Mafuni, obviously Niobe and Locke and Ghost and the multiple captains, uh, Cass and uh, mm-hmm. Z. And then there's so do you, is, this is part of where I feel like the movie's just like, all right, playing catch up. Here's your supporting cast and let's go. I, I kind of, here's the thing. I kind of liken it to the middle mm-hmm. section of the first movie. I think, I think the pro the, the, and okay. I'm using, you can't yeah. see, but I'm using air quotes thing. But the problem with the matrix movies is that the world is so complex and there is mm-hmm. so much yeah. going on and there's so much that you as the audience need to understand to get a good sense of the action and a good sense of the stakes that inevitably large swaths of all three of these movies are devoted to just setup. You know, I mean, like that's, I, I think the first one is able to do it the most successfully because, um, because Neo is such a great POV character. Like every, like Neo is learning about the world sort of in tandem with us, which is not necessarily the case in the other two movies. Uh, but they're kind of doing the same thing. Like I think, I think both the, both like the first hour of, um, reloaded and the first hour revolutions really are just set up. It's, hey, mm-hmm. here are the players. Here's where everybody is on the map. And then the second half of the movie is now we can just move. Now we can, right. now we can just hit the ground running and just move. And I think it works. I mean, I think it's, a, you know, obviously I, I think that was probably a lot of the reason these movies were not as well received when they came out. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people came in expecting it just to be straight action, but that that's not really what the movies are. You know, I mean, that's not even really what matrix was, you know, as, as, as just, phenomenal as all the action is and I want to get to that later but like it's this is an epic this is an epic fantasy story it's like a it's 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 like a it's like Lord of the Rings or or, or you know, I, I I just finished reading Dune for the first time, and actually, I, the, the the Matrix reminded me a lot of that, just in terms of like the scope of the world and the complexity of the themes and how they're all interacting with each other. You know, so there's like a lot of time that's spent with the characters and with the world, just establishing things and who they are and setting them up. And I think I I, I think the movies need it because it's like when you then do kick things into high gear, it's, it, it's all the more, it's all the more crazy. It's all the more impactful. Um, so, but yeah, it's a, I can see how it would be trying to some, to, to some audience's and attention. And it's not even the exposition. Like this, these movies have so much, thematically and so much like philosophically that they're trying to get out there that it, it I yeah. feel like the, the sequels sort of struggle with combining them as cohesively as the first one does where in Reloaded, 
you know, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy most of the chatty scenes, but there's a lot, there's like an action scene, then the Merovingian talking about causality for five minutes, then a fight scene, then, uh, you know, I'm trying to think, then Counselor Haman being like, oh, what is control? Mm-hmm. Then, you know, then, a, yeah. then like a car chase and then the architect being like, you know, illusions of what, you know, all that stuff. And I, and I think most of actually going on here. Yeah. Right. And and I think that a lot of those conversations are interesting, but it almost feels like the movies, the movies sometimes come to a standstill so they can have a little mini like philosophy lecture and then be like, Oh yeah. And back to the story. And in the best way, in the best, in the best instances, it blends seamlessly. Uh, But, but often, and I feel like the Merovingian is the one that feels the most, the most uh, outside of itself. <laughs> I, I, I see it this way. I, I, I see it this way. Cause I think, I think the, this movie in particular does take spend a lot of its time, not just on exposition, but on these sort of like questions about the nature of, of, of reality and choice mm-hmm. and our relationship with technology. But it's like, at the end of the day, I think the struggle in, in, in uh, Reloaded is a very internal struggle with Neo. It's like, whereas the first one, he was like, oh, am I the one? Am I going to be the savior of the universe? This and that. Like in, in this movie, he's really grappling with the nature of the nature of reality and the nature of choice. And do I actually have the ability to, to alter my future? So it's like, yeah, you've got the scenes. So it's like all of these scenes are all of these different little voice. I I see them all as these little different voices in his head saying like, Mm. you know, like that, like, like the Merovingian on one hand is like, there's no such thing as choice. Everything happens because something else happened it's um uh determinism um i learned that from devs which is an incredible mini series that i recommend everybody should watch on hulu um because it's all about that too it's all about free will and choice and and do we actually even have free will because you know is every decision we make the result of a bunch of other things that are out of our control um but at the end of the day, I, I I love that the movie lands on the other side of that, of that, <laughs> of that question by saying no, you you d- free will is all you have. At the end of the day, your choices are all you have, and you you always have the ability to make a choice. Uh, but but that's sort of the realization that Neo comes to by the end of the movie. So it's like the whole movie he's he's hearing all of these different people and all of these like the the entire world is basically like screaming at him like mm-hmm. give up yeah you don't have a choice what will happen will happen that is just the nature of things you know the the machines are in the machine is in control but but even with all of that he still he still is defiant he still makes his own decisions and chooses it goes with his gut and goes with his heart. Um, and it's, I, I think this movie, honestly, maybe even a little bit more than the first one for me personally is, is, is just a beautiful embodiment of that theme of free will and that, and that theme of like, you know, like Terminator, there's no fate, but what you make, like you, you, you have, you have agency over your choices and that's what makes us human, you know? Yeah. So I, yeah, I love I, the, mean, I love the metaphor. I love the metaphysical discussions. I think I, I think I think I, I think I'm, they might slow the movie down, but they're so yes. cool and so rich. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. I think they're I I I have come to love them as well. I think at first I was like, wait, what's happening now? Um, especially again, I was the restaurant scene, first, yeah. <laughs> especially when the restaurant scene with the Merovingian, where you're like, wait, what is 
what, what, why is he? Oh, 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 okay. Um, that's what the Merovingians. High school me checked out. High school me checked out at that scene. I was like, I was like, what is this? But now, now that I'm an adult, I watch that scene and I'm like, wow, what an interesting character. What an interesting like discussion about, about free will. And what a, what a strange way to, way to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but, and so I like that. I like all that too. I just, it, I, that I'm just addressing one of the big criticisms for this movie, which is probably a big reason why revolutions box office gross was so low. I think people saw this and they were like, yeah, okay. I don't know if they know what they're doing with this thing. So revolutions actually made less than the first movie did. Uh, it was just kind of petered off at the end, which is why it probably took, which is probably why it took almost 20 years for them to be like, you know what? Yeah, let's, let's try and, and, and resurrect that. Um, and, and bring more this to This is kind of off topic, but I actually, yeah. I have a theory on why that is. And I don't actually think it has anything to do with the quality of the movie. I think releasing okay. two movies in the same franchise in one year was a bad call. I think mm. they should have, I think they should have, I think they should have released the third movie at whatever the same time they released the second movie the next year. I think, I think that I think the second movie came out during the summer of that year like of May, 2003 yeah, like May, and, May, and yeah. made yeah, and it made more money than God. It was like it was a, it was a hit. But then it was like the second yeah. one came out. I think award season or Christmas, and it was like this is like a lot of the reason I think Solo bombed too at the box office. It's like people are mm. used to seeing specific kind of movies at specific times where they have less competition, and you were releasing a Matrix movie at a point where it was like it was weird to release it, and you were releasing it in the same year, so it was like people didn't have time to decompress and 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 sit with it it was like there was, there was right. no time for the hype to build like it's like honestly i think if endgame would have gotten released like six months after infinity war i mean it still probably would have made like not nearly what it did though, money because that's yeah. a different but but probably not what it did yeah it's like I, I i think you know the the you know how much money a movie makes is a is a product of a lot of different things and yeah i'm sure fan disappointment probably did factor into it but i i think more than that was just like I think that was a poor release plan. I, I right. if, if if I if I were a studio head at Warner Brothers at the time, I would have been like, no, we're doing them a year apart. Like, just just deal with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and to your point, I think the Reloaded hit like you know DVD or whatever, not that long before Revolutions came out. So if people missed it in the theater, yeah, they exactly. Were like, yeah. Why did, the new one's coming out. I didn't even see the last one. I forget it. I'll catch them both when when it's all mm-hmm. over. I think that exactly. yeah, that's a good point. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, sorry, that was a side tangent. No, no, no. It's, it's all, whatever. It's all, it's relevant. Um, so I I do, before we get into sort of more where we are in the middle of the movie, I think we're kind of getting around to the, the Oracle uh, scene is, uh, I, I really wanted to point out that moment of how Neo's journey changes. Uh, You know, as you said, that's sort of where he ends up is the nature of reality and what his, what choice does he really have and, and all of that. But it starts out with the pressure of being the savior being like, you know, these movies are not shy about their religious allegories and, and symbolism. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's, mm-hmm. you know, he, he goes through, uh, on the elevator and they get off at their level and all these like people who start coming up to him with gifts and watch over my son on this ship and watch over like all the pressure of everyone feeling, you know, of him being the chosen one and feeling like he needs to protect all of these people uh, and they all need him. And so you get that really, again, another sweet Trinity uh, Neo moment where she's, she's like, she walks off. She's like, I'll see you after we have time. She's like, they need you. And he's like, I need you. 
to uh, to Trinity, which mm-hmm. I, I just love. Yeah. I love that moment, and I think that that really underscores mm-hmm. the whole theme uh, of what the one was supposed to do. The one was supposed to be like, oh my god, I have to take care of everyone, and he was just like, yeah, I know them, but I'm, I, you know, I only have so much time with my lady before we have to get back on the ship, and and yeah. I think that that encapsulates so much of what happens at the end of the film. Yeah, well, it's it's cool because I think like what makes Neo special isn't that he's the one. And I, I the, the, like at, at the right. end of the day, the one, as we find out at the end of the movie, is just another computer program used another to construct. control a flaw yeah. within the... Yeah, another construct. What makes Neo special isn't the fact that that's him. What makes him special is that he is he's got an amazing heart and he doesn't give up and he, you know, he believes in, he believes in choice, you know, it's like, and I I think that's, what's cool about these movies is they incorporate that element of like prophecy and religion and stuff. But at the end of the day, I, I I think why I love Neo as a character is he succeeds not because he's, you know, super, super man, God person, but because he's, but be, because he cares because he cares more than anybody else um and 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 i and i and you and the fact that he is constantly choosing his relationship with trinity over like the greater good and your responsibilities mm. as this person i think is proof of that i think it's like if it weren't for that i don't think he would have succeeded you know so yeah it's it's cool all the movies constantly planning that and setting that up yeah yeah his superpower is compassion and uh and everything yeah i love mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I think so. Um, uh, so then they go to, they're going off to see the Oracle. Meanwhile, uh, Bane is, is uh, <laughs> coming in. Not the, not, oh, not that one. Not the one from the Dark Knight Rises. Different, different movie. Yeah. yeah, different Warner Brothers movie. Um, different Warner Brothers. Oh, that was the third one. I was gonna, but Bane comes really more in this, this third movie as well. Uh, so you get the setup to uh, Smith sort of possessing Bane, which again was one of those things where I was like, wait, what the hell? Because the first movie has such clear delineation between this is the real world, this is the Matrix, and this movie is all about breaking that wall and showing that, yeah, well, yeah. the computer program, like the brain is is like a computer, right? So this movie really leans into mm-hmm. that where Bane's circuitry, his his brain is... is uh, is taken over, possessed, for lack of a better term, by Smith. So you get that, oh God, and mm-hmm. that Smith will suffice, which we'll get into Hugo Weaving in a second and, and how great he is in these Ooh, yes. movies. Um, uh, so what are your, what were your, what do you, what is, what is going on with Bane? That do you, did you like that sort of element of Smith not only starting to take over the Matrix, the fact that he can replicate now, but also heading into the real world? Or is that sort of, you know, suspending disbelief uh, a little too much. Uh, I I love it because like I, I, in the first movie, you're told that it's like there are humans and then there are machines and the humans and the machines are at war with each other. And it's like an alien invasion. It's like, it's like we have to, we have to defeat the machines. And I think what's, what's cool about the sequels is that even though that, even though that tension is still there, it, it, it is constantly adding layers of complexity onto it and blurring the lines between what human and machine is. And, and, and I think Smith is such a great example of that. You know, he, because he is, he is, it's like the Oracle says in the third movie, he is 
he is Neo, basically. He's just the mm-hmm. opposite of Neo. So it's like he's got the same power to sort of break the barrier between these two worlds, except instead right. of breaking that barrier and using it to save the world, he's breaking that barrier and just using it to consume everything and just make everything himself. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think him possessing, I, I think him possessing someone is a, is, is, is a fun idea. It doesn't really get explored in the second movie, but it, it, it results in some real crazy shit in the third movie, which I yeah. really liked. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know who the actor was who played who played Bane, but he's, his Hugo Weaving impression was so spot on <laughs> to the point where he, uh, that, that, that scene um, in, I'm jumping ahead to Revolutions, but that scene where he's like holding Trinity at knife point and talking to, talking to Neo. I'm like, that's, that's Hugo Weaving, right? Like that, that's him. That's, <laughs> he's there. That's like no, it's a different actor giving a giving a Hugo Weaving performance, but it's uh, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, Ian Bliss is the is the actor's name, and he is so yeah, he's so great. Bless. Uh, in 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 that it makes as you were saying, and when you, we get to Revolutions, it makes it feel like Hugo Weaving is in that movie a lot more than he is. He has like a couple scenes mm-hmm. in the Matrix early on, you know, with the Oracle and all that. And then the battle at the end, Hugo Weaving doesn't have that much screen time in Revolutions, uh, but it feels like he's throughout the whole, like a constant, pre- like uh, Bane even yes, says, there's nowhere exactly. you can go, there's no, I won't find you, that whole thing, which is great and makes mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. Uh, one of, mm-hmm. probably one of my favorite movie villains uh, of all time, just because he's so much fun in these yeah. sequels. Uh, so we're about to get to, to the, the air quotes burly brawl. Uh, so we meet Seraph, which is like an angelic reference, obviously. So, so he's uh, the Oracle's protector. So again, they're expanding the universe in, in different ways. He's even referred to as wingless in Revolutions. I don't know if you ever caught that. Uh, the like bouncers Ooh, at Club Hell. That. Oh, that's fascinating. They're like, oh, Joe, what the hell? What the hell? It's wingless, they say. Um, uh, <laughs> so this movie really introduces the idea of angels and this is the scene with the oracle angels and aliens and ghosts and werewolves vampires Vampires. an explanation (laughs) an explanation for all the supernatural stuff how it could actually exist in the matrix and how freaking cool is it that the wachowskis were like you know what let's just bring ghosts into it fuck it I love it. I, 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 again, it's like what makes the movies, what makes these movies so awesome is that, you know, it's not just a future. It's not just a dystopian sci-fi action movie. It's also a Kung Fu movie, but it's also like a cyberpunk movie. And it's also all these things. And Oh, Hey, yeah, there's vampires. <laughs> like, uh, but they find it, they find a way to make it work in this movie so well. And those, those two characters, the, um, Oh my God, what are their names? The, 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 the ones who can like disappear through, the twins. Um, the twins. The twins. Uh, yeah. So just like some of the most ingenious action in a, in a sci-fi movie ever, you know, like the, the, the amount of mileage that the Wachowskis are able to get out of that concept of them just being able to move through walls like ghosts and shit is just is so awesome. I think one of my favorite, one of my favorite little beats from, uh, from Reloaded is when, uh, is when they're, one of them tries to like cut Trinity's head off through the car, but she like speeds up just enough to where like he misses her when he like phases mm-hmm. through. It's like, it's just this like, oh my God, it's, it's, oh, it's so cool. Uh, <laughs> and it works because it's like, yeah, you know, this is a, the Matrix is, is 
a playground for the machines to, yeah. to to do whatever they need to do to keep him humanity sedated, basically. So it's like I, I I love in the sequels how it like it 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 really blows the doors open on what what a computer program in that world is capable of and what they can do and what that all looks like. Um, it's just so inventive and cool. It gives them an excuse to do some, just some of honestly, in my opinion, like the best action in a movie ever. I think, I think, I think uh, Reloaded has like more great action scenes than any other movie. I mean, it's just like, it, like, like every, almost every single action scene in that movie is, is like a class, like a, like a, 10 out of 10 classic and it's like it usually usually a movie will have one of those action scenes or none of them and this movie's got like him battling all the agent smiths the car chase scene like all like all of this just oh my gosh it's i love it yeah it's it's it, i and it's an idea as far as the supernatural stuff that i can't imagine them not going back to and expanding and building upon with the next one like if that if that's oh, where yeah. the second movie yeah. goes it's like all all bets are off. The Matrix is going to be like a freaking hellscape in the fourth one. I have no idea what's going to happen. And I kind of love that we haven't learned anything about it so far. And I think they're either done shooting or almost done shooting. And I feel like there's been very, like basically nothing revealed except for like, it's going to be cool and stuff's going to happen. I'm like, uh, okay, cool. Who's a lot of new <laughs> cast members, you know? Uh, so I have, I have no idea where they're going to take it, but um, or well, where I guess where Lana's going to take it because Lily is not coming back to do the, the fourth. Yeah, one, yeah. I I want to not. I I if I I don't need to see a trailer. I don't need to read a synopsis. Right. I'm going to be there opening night. Like I don't get. <laughs> like this I, might be I, one of. Those I get to see another me. movie set in this universe. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm. I don't know if I'll do like a blackout, but like I I definitely I don't want to know. I want to be. I want to sit in the theater and be as surprised as possible. And I bet they're gonna try and do that as much as possible. So Yeah, you know, for sure. We'll uh, I, I do also love, now we're finally getting to the Oracle stuff, I do love that the real challenge, I feel like, of a sequel is taking what was left unsaid or, or what we assumed for the first one and, and taking it in another direction. The example I always like to go to for this is like... Um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, where we all assumed mm -hmm. what Jack Sparrow's compass was going to do, that it just pointed to Tortuga. But then we, the whole plot point for the second movie is, no, it points to what you want the most. And that's why everybody wants it for different reasons yeah. and all this stuff. And I love that. Yeah. And in this movie, we have an, a, a, a similar sort of sub, subversion where... You know, we first, yeah. you know, the Oracle is introduced to us as a psychic and like she's a fortune teller. They all refer, you know, the Merovingian refers to her as a fortune teller. And, but really, she's just a program from the machine world, world who's very intuitive, who's like studies the human race and, and is able to sort of uh, anticipate what their, their choices are going back to the theme of choice. Uh, you know, I, I love that that's her, her law, sort of long game in trying to achieve, you know, and to try and achieve peace. She says in here, the only way we're going to get there is together is to get to that peace, the humans and the machines and try and, and uh, bring everything to a standstill and sort of uh, improve the situation in in some way uh, and kind of break the cycle. Uh, so what are your thoughts on Gloria Foster's, you know, unfortunately brief role in the sequels here and how she's basically shows up here to give Neo his, his quest and, uh, sort of kick the, this is where after finally we're introduced to everybody this is where the movie really kind of starts um 
What are your your thoughts on the yeah. Oracle's role here? I I both I just have to say like both movies uh, acutely this one I think because yeah you you know she does kind of show up and say like well this is this is not going to be easy this is you know this is a lot more complicated and um complex and and you know you 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 get a much better sense of her as a character now that you understand that she is a program i was like i she should have gotten nominated for an oscar for like one of them it's 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 such a it's such a beautifully understated performance and um and and it's 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 cool because it's like I, I love the idea that you take a pro computer program and you basically give it all knowledge about humanity. Like you give it, you you basically say like this is this is everything that has happened in human history. This is who humans are. This is how they work. You've gotten to observe them and see sort of how they act, and and then as a result, you know, see how they're going to behave in the future, and that it once you've given a computer program that power, it just becomes this pure good this like pure good this like just absolute light this wonderful wonderful person who is just there who just like persists in being there for no other reason than to just like make sure the human race survives um it's Mm -hmm. it's it's one of the it's i think one of the most casually optimistic uh elements of these movies is that is that character because it's like you know yeah they could have just had her be like they could have kept her as like a a human who's just like really smart and has fortune telling abilities. But it's like, I think the fact that she's part of the machine world Mm -hmm. and a program makes the fact that she is so that is, she is fighting so hard for humanity's survival, like all the more meaningful. I think, I, I think it goes to show that it is like, you know, there is hope for humanity and that, and that at the end of the day, people can be good deep down and that they are worth fighting for even in the eyes of a machine, you know? Yeah. And I also feel like the fact that this movie at the end reveals that the architect is, is, you know, likens himself to being the father of the matrix. And if he's the father, then the Oracle's the mother. So you sort of get between that Mm. reveal and also the scene on the bench at the very, very end of revolutions uh, with the two of them, you sort of get the, the deal, the, the sense that he is like the satanic figure. She's like the, you know, uh, the godlike figure. figure, And it's like them Mm -hmm. playing, you know, toying with humanity and trying to sway one, sway the tip, the balance one way, like she says, he is trying, he's trying to balance the equation and her job is to unbalance it. And so I love that there's like this cosmic, this is cosmic scale where these two machines are being like, yeah, we should tear it all down. It's just like, no, 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 there's something there to save. Let's, let's keep them around. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 yeah. I love that element of it. There's something about two characters being interconnected in such a, an oppositional way that I find so satisfying, both with the architect and the Oracle, but then also of course with Neo and Smith, it's, it's like a, uh, a Harry mm-hmm. and Voldemort situation or, um, at yeah. the very end of revolutions, I was getting um, Superman and Zod sort of vibes as well. Yeah, it's it's the idea of duality and that and that yeah, it's that. you can't have just evil and you can't have just good. It's like they are they are two they are two parts of the same whole. They have to coexist with each other, but there is a there is a balance. There is a tipping point, and and when you enter the story of the Matrix, I think it's very obvious that that tipping point has fallen very much in the side of evil and that it's neo it's people like neo and morpheus and the oracle's job to sort of tip that 
back over into good. But it's like, at the end of the day, you're still going to have that darkness. Like, I think, I like, you know, again, I'm jumping a little ahead, but I think what I like about where this series ends up is that it's like, Neo doesn't destroy the Matrix. He doesn't defeat the machines. He doesn't, like, burn the whole system down but he tips the balance. He tips. He he tips the balance back in favor of good, and I think that's. I think it's a much more realistic and also a much more beautiful way of looking at that constant struggle between light and darkness that just exists in everything. You know. Yeah. No. The fight goes on. That's kind of the the nature of it, and mm-hmm. and and I love that the fact that uh, that Neo and Smith sort of embody those two sides. So the Oracle. <laughs> again, being so intuitive, she's like, good luck, Neo. And as soon as the door closes, my, my boy shows up with the, uh, with the birds flying and all of that. Like, oh, okay, Hugo Weaving in this movie, in, in all Ooh. three of these movies, really. But in this movie, the whole, you know, he has that whole spiel about, I killed you, Mr. Anderson. I watched you die. That whole thing about like, I'm no longer an agent of this system. I love that so much. Every time he monologues, I know I said earlier about like, oh, there's such chatty parts of this movie. Whenever Hugo Weaving does it, I'm like, shh, everybody quiet. He's talking about purpose or, or I don't, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> it's so great. I don't know. I don't know what direction the Wachowskis gave him <laughs> as an actor. Like, I don't know what, I, I would be very curious to know as a director, what that was, like what they right. said to him, you know, cause like, you know, how do I play this character? How do I play the, you know, a megalomaniacal rogue computer program that's become a virus? You know, how do I play that? And it's like, I, <laughs> He just like it. It's 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 amazing because the 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 phrase that kept going up in my head as I was rewatching these movies was chewing the scenery. Like uh, it, like sure. like he he like he chews every single word and every single scene. He just has to like he consumes it in a in a way like it, 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 in a way that I think fits that character because the whole point of that character mm-hmm. is that like now that he has agency and choice. He just needs to make the entire world in his image. He just needs to. He just needs to make everything and everyone him, um, because he thinks he's God. He thinks he's perfect. So it's like it's so fitting then that you've got this performance where it's just like every word that comes out of his mouth is just so full and pointed, <laughs> and like like he's giving some epic sermon. But he's like he does it. He does it in such a way where it always comes off as hysterical. Like it's. <laughs> And I think that's what makes him a great bad guy. He's like that perfect amount. He's like that perfect amount of just like, oh, this guy's deranged. This guy's ridiculous. Yeah. But like also like, oh shit, he's scary. And it's like he's me, he's, me, me. He's creepy, me too. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he's playing the same character, but he's really not playing the same character because in the first one, Smith was so mm-hmm. like uh conflicted, so burdened. He's like, I have to get out of here, I have to get free, I have to find Zion. He's like desperate to get out of the matrix. But then we get a sense of what the program's version of an afterlife is, and you can either be deleted, a i.e., you know, cross over or stay behind and kind of wander in the matrix in limbo. And he has evolved into a virus. So he's the one character that is not only allowed to be one dimensional, it is actually an asset because what do viruses do? They can see, he says it, he himself says it in the first movie virus spreads to another area. That's all he does. He just, (laughs) you know, consumes, consumes, consumes. So of course he's going to be single-minded in that. That's his purpose. And so I love that 
his his he's the one character in these in these movies that has clarity in the sequels. Uh, it's just like, no, this is what I do. I just take over as much as possible until there's nothing left. Yeah, that that scene where he he them fight Neo in the in the courtyard is just one of the craziest things I've seen in a movie ever. It's just it, it, like it's because it, it's so great too because it's like every time. You know, every time you think like, oh, this couldn't possibly get there, that that's it, right? There's no more of him. There's no more Agent Smiths. It's like more of them come in to the point where it's just like a literal flood of bodies and it's just the same person over and over again. But like the fact, and just getting to see how Neo fights them off, like when he, when he like rips the fucking bowl out of the ground <laughs> and everything. It's just like, it's such a, it, it was a, such a... It, a, it's like such a brilliant, inventive piece of filmmaking and just some of the craziest action ever. Um, and it just, it gives you such a great, it, it, it gives you such a great sense of who that character is going to be going forward. It's like, he is just, he just, ha- yeah, it's like he, he is, he is exactly, you're right. He is exactly what he described humanity as in the first movie he's mm-hmm. like you guys are like a virus you just go to a place and you consume it and it's like it's it's projection it's like he was literally like that's what i want and that's what i want to do and he's projecting that onto humanity and you get to see him you get to see just what that actually looks like in this movie and it's just it's bananas it's absolutely <laughs> bananas I uh, I do love the music as well. Again, here for the the this the, I guess they call <laughs> yeah. it the Burly Brawl scene with all the the Smiths mm-hmm. and uh, and Neo, and you know that it was the kind of thing that like when uh, when my brother and I you know when he was you know back in the day we'd get like our, our like toy lightsabers or whatever and we'd like play fight like to this song that kind of thing. It was like kind of like a roughhousing jam for us back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. I do think the visuals haven't aged as well as I would like. I feel like the some of the CG doubles look pretty dated, but at the time looked super, mm-hmm. uh, you know, looked much more impressive. Uh, what are your thoughts on how the visuals, like the you know the CG doubles, the head replacement, uh, and how that all works in this scene? Because that aside, I do think it's it's a lot of fun. The sound work, there's like uh, the sound of bowling pins falling over at one point when he throws them into yes, each other. And, yes, <laughs> uh, one goes flying at the wall. It's like ah. <laughs> um, but but about the visual thoughts uh yeah i mean i i think what's cool about the matrix movies and what's helped right. them age i think better than other movies from that time is that it's like every time you've got a visual effect that doesn't really work you're in a computer program like That's you're true. in a you're in a you're in a giant computer program so it's like i um yeah, is some of it is some of the motion capture in that sequence a little rudimentary? Yeah, it is. Is it does it still work, I think? Absolutely. I think I think it I think if anything it adds to the it adds to the ridiculousness of that whole moment. You know, it adds to sort of how over the top and goofy Smith is as a concept um, while also giving you a sense of just how threatening he can be when there are just like so many of them. <laughs> so it's, um, uh, I think it works largely, uh, but you know, do, would that scene have looked a little bit better in the year of our Lord 2020? Probably. Yeah. They probably yeah. Would have managed to make it look a little bit more realistic and probably 
would have gone for that over over the cartoonishness. That's a good point too about them being actually in the Matrix. And I wonder if that emboldened the Wachowskis to push things a little further uh, because it was a scene set in the Matrix and things are allowed to look slightly less realistic. Because I can't really even think of, in the real world, I feel most of the visual effects have aged pretty well. And I feel like there's a much more of a mm-hmm. reliance on practical effects and all the, the real world set action sequences. You know, the closest, yeah. you know, the biggest CG thing they have is obviously the Sentinels. But even that, I feel like that works pretty well in all three movies. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, okay, then they head off to see the Merovingian. There's a, there's a lot of uh, Locke, Niobe, you know, drama where she volunteers to go and get the Nebuchadnezzar and all that good stuff. So the, mm-hmm. we sort of already covered the scene in the restaurant with the Merovingian uh, and the, the very special cake that he sends to the lady uh, at the other table. Um, thoughts on, I mean, I, I, what is there anything about this scene that, that we haven't touched on before we move to the Chateau scene, battle? The scene speaks, <laughs> I think the scene speaks for itself. It's definitely some yeah. of the most interesting use of the matrix effects, you know, when they like go into like the matrix and you can see the code, everything is coded, everything. I think the scene definitely gets the most gets the award for the most interesting use of that effect so far <laughs> this is the I, I i definitely will say reloaded is the horniest matrix movie like it's for sure <laughs> i think more so than the other two is the most where they were like yeah we're rated r we, we could we could do whatever the hell we want <laughs> uh but I, I i love the verovigian as a character i don't know because it's like again it, it's it's that whole idea of like you know if you have a computer program that has developed supreme intelligence and then you just basically let it off the hook and say, you can do whatever you want, sort of who does that computer program end up being? And I, and I loved the, I love the idea of the Merovingian as a character because it's like, of course you're going to have a computer program. Who's like, Oh sweet. I have access to everything. Great. I'm going to be like, the worst possible rich dude on the planet who can just like do whatever the hell he wants and has like a smoking hot wife who I cheat on with everybody and just like a just gorgeous mansion in the middle of the Himalayas or something. Like it's just, it's, he's, he's so over the top, but it like it, it's yet again, it's like, it's another, it's, this is a world in which AI exists. And I think this is another, this is like the Oracle or like agent Smith. I think this is another really excellent use of like, okay, well, if you had AI in sort of like a big real world simulation, how would they behave? You know, of course you would have ones that are just like, Oh, I could do whatever I want. Cool. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to indulge. I'm going to indulge in one, in, in all of humanity's, biggest impulses like he speaks french because he's just like i don't know i like the way it sounds in my mouth like i just love the way <laughs> wiping your like, ass with silk yeah it's like, it's like i'm trying to remember what he said yeah or what he's like he's like he just like lists off all of the french curse words in order he's like it's beautiful <laughs> oh my god yeah no i, I, I he's coming the, back for the fourth one too yes he is hell yeah he is um <laughs> you know it also sets Sorry, up it, the thing with the architect he sets up because he's talking about, you know, you know why you think you know why you're here, but do you, you know, do you really sort of, cause he knows the journey mm-hmm, of the one yeah. as a charade. He rev- he says in the next, uh, right before the Chateau battle, he's like, you know, your, your predecessors had much more respect and all of that. So he's been around, he's one of the oldest programs they say in the movie. So he's, he's kind of 
tipping the hat a little bit to them being like, huh, you don't even know what game we're really even playing. So there's no way you're going to win. And, and I love that dynamic of having that sort of, he's, he's the closest thing these movies have to kind of a mob boss. And I, and I think he brings such yeah. a different energy to it. I, 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 he's kind of the job of the hut in these movies yes. in the sense that I yes. think like the first, the first act of, um, revel, um, revelations is he is, he's like, he is very much about him in the way that the first act of Return of the Jedi is very much about Jabba the Hutt. Like you, you, I feel like in all of these big epic stories, you need sort of like an underground world. You need sort of like a seedy, seedy underbelly of whatever the society is, and 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 I and I love this series version of that seedy underbelly of society. I think it's really cool. And then after they leave the restaurant, we get the well, we meet the keymaker. Uh, Randall Duck Kim, who is also in John Wick Chapter 3. There's a lot of Keanu crossover in these movies. Yeah, uh, yeah. We get the Chateau battle and then the freeway you mm, know, chase. Yes. Two of the best action sequences oh. in these movies for sure. And, and you know, yes. in contention for the best ever possibly. Uh, especially, the, I feel like the, yeah. the freeway I mean, chase is the magnum opus of this of this possibly this trilogy as far as like big action, ambitious action set pieces go. I I like the freeway chase is like a masterclass in action filmmaking. I mean, just like it just it just in terms of like the complexity of it too, like the amount of different threads that you have to follow as a viewer over the course of that sequence to understand the geography and the stakes and you know like what the action is is immense and it's the the filmmaking is just invisible like you don't even really have a sense of how big and sprawling and complex it is because you're just the the Wachowskis do such an excellent job of just like laser focusing in on everything that you need to know in whatever moment while also giving you what you need to know going into whatever the next scene is um it's uh like it reminded honestly like I I the the only other car chase action scenes I can even begin to draw comparisons to are the ones in Mad Max Fury Road, honestly. Like, I think I think that's the only one... That's the only other movie I've seen where anybody attempted to pull off something this ambitious and succeeded. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I think the freeway chase is... I think it's the crown jewel of this franchise. And and even if, even if the rest of Reloaded was shit, which it isn't, in my opinion, I think it's a great movie, but even if it was shit, it would still get like an 8 out of 10 from me because that's, that sequence is just... Oh, wow. When Morpheus is like, st- he's like doing the handstand on the edge of the truck. It's, oh, mm-hmm. oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to cry. It's so <laughs> no, and it, and it's, you know, it speaks to the fact that, and I think a lot of it is because of that, that scene, the, again, the music, I listen, you can tell I listen to the soundtracks to these movies a lot. Uh, that Mona Lisa Overdrive <laughs> yeah. is the name of that track. Uh, it, it, it is, it's weird how this movie for me really, Act two is when Reloaded is like kind of at its best. And I think so much of it is because of the Chateau mm-hmm. battle, uh, you yeah. know, and that it directly precedes this. And then the freeway thing, because it is, there's just so much going on. There's cars, there's motorcycles, there's ghosts. Uh, there's, there's uh, you know, police officers who are then taken over by agents. There's, there's so many different elements at play. And, it, and the movie takes mm-hmm. its time to, let that all play out. I feel like that's like a 12 minute sequence or something like that. It goes on 
for a while. It, they, yeah. I, it, they took them weeks just to shoot that sequence. And I think you can tell months they put think, that yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. They, I think they believe they built part of a freeway to shoot that whole thing. And it, it's, mm-hmm. it, it is, you can feel every little bit of that, that care in, in that, that, uh, that sequence and just how, yeah, it, I don't know. It's so great. There's so much going on, swords, guns, yeah. all kinds of shit. It's such an achievement for them. Uh, and it yeah. visually still holds up pretty well, I'd say. Uh, I think because of yeah. a lot of uh, the practical effects, I think that's a big part of it as well. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, I think, yeah, I think practical effects are a lot of it, but I think a lot of it is filmmaking. I mean, great filmmaking is mm-hmm, great filmmaking sure. is great filmmaking, no matter when in history it came out. And there, there's a, there's a universality to the Wachowskis filmmaking, which makes it so broadly accessible. Um, like, like you, like, I think what, what, the miracle of that sequence is just the the amount of clarity that you get from it. Like it's, it, you know, it, p- different individual parts like may have aged better than others. I think overall though, the, 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 the abundance of practical effects in that sequence make it age perhaps a little bit better than other sequences, but it's like, it's great because every time they cut to something, it's the right thing to cut to. And it's the sequence itself is so well constructed and so well put together that it's like it, yeah, watching watching it play out is like, like honestly, like when, when I watched it with my roommate, I think we paused it after the sequence just to like, just to like settle down because we were just like so on the edge of our seats. We were just so enraptured by it. Um, and it's, it's great filmmaking. It's, it's, it is just honest to God, great filmmaking. And it's, and it's frustrating because it's like, it's frustrating whenever I see action movies nowadays that either just, just rely on making everything look practical or just doing the best CG possible when I'm like, no, 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 no. Good action is about shot composition. It's about editing choices. It's about geography. It's about all of these, all of these different things that the Wachowskis took into take into account with any of their with all of their action scenes, um, except maybe a few of Jupiter Ascending, but that's another discussion. Um, <laughs> uh, they they and that's what makes them so timeless. Like people are going to be able to watch Matrix Reloaded like twenty five years from now, and they're going to be just as blown away by it as the people who watched it back in two thousand three. And that's great filmmaking. I feel like also not only that, like the Call, there's callbacks in the uh, in these these two sort of back to back action sequences. There's uh, there's a line that uh, Morpheus tells Neo in the first one, where he's like, "Everyone who's gone up against an agent has died." So when we see Morpheus go yeah. up against an agent in this movie, we're like, "Oh shit!" There goes Morpheus. Mm. Uh, you know, he exactly. does the same kind of leap on the I think on top of the truck as he does in that dojo scene with Neo. Uh, yes, in the, yes. In yes. the first one, uh, there's there's little little things like that that build upon each other. Plus the fight choreography, we got to mention Yen Wu Ping, who did the choreography for mm-hmm. all three of these movies, and how just again, like you were saying, it's it, it's there's no there's never a moment in any of their action scenes where you don't where you don't understand what's going on or who's doing what or where, you know, mm-hmm. Neo, uh, uh, Neo's over here in the Chateau fighting this other guy who's on the other side, getting this ax off the wall. And meanwhile, Neo's got the size and, and meanwhile, and then onto the freeway, mm-hmm. Trinity and the key maker on the motorcycle over here. And Morpheus is on the, tr- like you, you never feel like it's just, you know, what is the, the, that, 
taken three with that action scene. It's like 45 cuts for Liam Neeson to jump over a fence. It's like none of that crap. It's like yeah. they, they completely know how yeah. to orient the audience uh, so that we're in there and with it with the characters the whole time and, uh, and not kind of left behind in the dust. Then you have the last minute save by Neo and, and that sort of very visceral reaction that Link has. Oh. Uh, the audience surrogate, which oh, is basically my what my audience did when I saw it in theaters. Dude, that that I I I I I know the, the the visual effects of this movie are spotty, but that when the trucks collide with each other and you see like the metal rippling through forward, it's just like, oh wow, it's just oh, oh man, I love these movies so much. Thank you for letting me come on and talk about. Them. Oh, of course, <laughs> so good. Of course, um, no, it's there's a lot there's a lot to get into, which is why it's taking us so long to get through Reloaded. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, there's there's a lot to cover. So I'm glad that we're actually getting to this. It, it's it took a while to finally get to this this episode. But um, so yeah, the freeway amazing. Like it's the kind of thing that now that I've rewatched it for the first time in a while, I might just go back and just rewatch that sequence just to be like. Ah, that's the good yeah. shit right there. Um, <laughs> uh, so then we get the, the plan. The plan, three ships, three objectives. Sounds like Providence, that whole thing. With the power uh, the power mm-hmm. station or whatever, which again is more of that is in Enter the Matrix. That's part of your missions is, in that is as Niobe and Ghost to go and kind of oh. do their side of things. Um, Fascinating. So let's see. I have to play this uh, video game. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> you need to find it, check, track it down. If I uh, even, if I still can, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I like that the keymaker just knows things because he must know. And I'm like, yeah, because it's happened five times mm. before. Nobody questions that, that these how these yeah. people know things. It's just like I know. Just trust me. I know. And I'm like, sure, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> you know, us watching it, we're like, oh, so that's that's like I have a role to play. It's. Um, yeah, it's just like they're all, all the programs are just sort of going through the motions. Like, this is what I do. This is my, you know, my thing. I, I'm ready to, to, I'm trying to think of a good comparison to this. Like, just, this is the, the, it's just a performance they do just every, every hundred years or so. It's just the programs all run yeah. through. And this is the key maker. This is your role. You make sure you get the one to the store and we'll take it from there. Uh, and I, I love that. We get I, I like those. Doing, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I like that, I like that you don't quite know that yet. Like, it's like, Mm -hmm. like, he's like, like the key baker is like, this is my, you know, this is my purpose. It's my job to know everything. And it's like, again, like at that point in the movie, you're thinking like, oh yeah, because like fate and destiny, this and that. Right. And then it's like, you get to the room with the architect and you're like, oh, that's no such thing. (laughs) Right. Morph, we get Morpheus doing the, the voiceover again, which I just want him to just, tell me what to do all the time. Uh, we get like another reference back to mm-hmm. the first movie with the, that armchair with the, and the sunglasses. Uh, did you, yes. did you notice yes. Lee Winnell is in this movie in a like super small role for like, I think 10 seconds of screen. What? Time? Lee Winnell. Look no, up. I Lee didn't. Wait, is, who does he play? He's one of the guys oh on the gosh. ship that gets killed uh, on Soren's ship. The, the one dude like falls and then oh, the other. Oh yeah. Where the, the, the thing, the, the, the yeah. thing collapses. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's the guy that's oh, on the thing that collapses. Nature. Well, they shot, I mean, they shot. Oh yeah. Oh, I read. Oh man. Wow. I can't believe I didn't recognize him. I know. Uh, Cause they Crazy, shot, well, like, he's Aussie and they, they shot all these movies in Australia. So it, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense, but um, oh, I love him. He's so great. Um, yeah, I guess. Oh wow. That's so fun. Um, so then we may, we get some more Smith again. He wants everything. He's the virus. We know this. Uh, so he kills the keymaker, and then 
Neo goes into the, the room, the door made of light, and we get to the architect. Now, what was your reaction the first time you saw this scene where, you know, all this crazy shit is happening and the keymaker gets killed. Neo's going to fulfill his destiny. He's going to end the war. He's going to save everyone. And it's like a Colonel Sanders looking guy in a big white room with a bunch of screens. I think, I think I, I think what, again, when I saw this movie for the first time, I was in high school. Um, I was, I was not as I, I didn't pay attention to movies and, and wasn't as smart as I am right now. And uh, I, I, it's like when Morpheus walks the audience through something, you know, he walks the audience through something and you, you, yeah. you know, you, no matter, you know, if you're 10 or a hundred, you, you, you'll understand what he's talking about, but the dialogue that's written for the architect is so well written honestly it's so it's just so like like his his use of language is so educated and complex that it's like i think when i saw it the first time i just was like i have no idea what he's talking about (laughs) i I have absolutely no idea what's going on here um uh now that i do i i i I love that scene i i that scene is to me like the luke i am your father scene it's the it's Mm -hmm. the scene where it's like everything you thought you know you knew about this world is wrong like and not only that but like everything sucks you know like except in the in in this case it's not you know you know oh shit my dad is the bad guy it's oh shit fate doesn't exist like it's i am just i am just i am literally just another cog in the machine i was like literally my i got here just so that i could pick a couple people to revive scion with and we could do this all again in like a hundred years you know it's like that's my purpose um and and it's it's crushing honestly like it's 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 a it's a crushing scene because you're like oh, oh shit like what what now? Like, how do you how do you beat that? How do you how do you beat that that level of inevitability? Especially now that you're actually not that special. That you're not actually you know Jesus or you know computer Jesus. Like it's 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 a it's a crazy scene, and it, and it honestly it makes it all the more satisfying when Neo decides to not go with it. You know, it makes it all the more satisfying when he says like, no fuck you. I'm going to save Trinity. I'm doing this my way. Because it's like, even though you're like, oh shit, now Zion's fucked. It's like, it's like, no, Neo is, Neo is unhinged. Like he is, he is, he is no longer playing a part in this big game that the machines have constructed to keep humanity sort of at bay um, for their own personal gain. Like he's, he's, he's broken with that and now really can kind of do whatever he wants. So it's a, it's, 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 I think that scene, which really makes reloaded a great sequel. Like it, it, it does such a good job of, of redefining, redefining what the world is and really pulling the rug out from and everybody while also just like staying really true to the, to the, to the first movie's core themes of like free will and, and personal agency. So yeah, I love that scene. Also, beautiful production design. All the TV screens around. Him yeah, yeah. There's so a cool, there is you know? a moment in the first one where we see TV screens, and everyone just sort of assumed it was you know the FBI or the CIA or whatever some government agency. But if you go back and look at the first movie, there's a scene where you see it looks like those exact same screens. So after seeing Reloaded, you can almost go back and just. 
be like, oh, there's the architect. He's watching Neo as he's being interrogated by the agents inside the <laughs> Matrix, kind of keeping tabs on things. Yes. But to your point, of oh, how yeah, this, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. To your to your point of how this scene upends thing, it's things. It sort of feels like, and to go back to the Star Wars sequel trilogy, it sort of feels like the Last Jedi, where you're like, okay, we have our Emperor figure here, Snoke, yes. and it'll be the big thing with him and right in the last, next one and they'll defeat him and that'll be the end of it. And then, nope, they bisect him halfway through the movie and then you're like, whoa, wait, what the hell? What are we doing now? What is even this next yeah, movie going to be? Exactly. Like, this is yeah. brand new territory. We're breaking the cycle of, yeah. you know, of, mm-hmm. uh, of, you know, the galaxy or the Matrix or whatever. And, to all the critics who who said that this movie, you know, this the writing in this scene is, you know, pretentious or indecipherable or whatever. And it's like, well, he's talking like a machine. He's a machine. <laughs> he's a yes, program. Exactly. Yes. It's you know, if you <laughs> yeah. listen and pay attention, it, it does all fit together. Not only with what we learn in in a few moments, where it says that the process has altered your consciousness. How you know the kind of almost to me hinting that the one has abilities that extend beyond the matrix. There's something different about the, yeah. the, the person they've selected as the one that happens in the incubation process or something. Uh, but also mm-hmm. he talks about the first matrix, how it was sublime kind of fitting in with what Smith said in the first movie about it being a paradise and the body trip, trying to reject it. We, 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 like it was something we were trying to wake up from uh, the fact that all the previous ones apparently looked exactly like Neo, or at least all possible versions of it looked like, like Keanu Reeves, which makes everybody wonder whether he's playing a new version of Neo in matrix four, because Keanu has been seen with like a really short haircut now. So everybody's now Ooh, wondering, yeah, that if, might be the case. We're yeah. going to get, the seventh Neo or whatever the case may be uh, in the next film. Mm-hmm, so I, mm-hmm. I it, it really is, it's a, it's a real show-stopping scene. And I think it, it takes a few watches to really kind of digest it. Uh, but, but yeah, I think it completely holds together and it is a real, you know, rug puller yeah. uh, for, for the, for this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. then he goes and he saves Trinity and you know, his love for her is so strong that he, I don't even think he knew he could do this, but he reaches inside her body, pulls the bullet out, restarts her heart because um, <laughs> uh, he loves her so damn much. I think it's a great parallel to the end of the first movie because that, that kind of happens because Trinity kind of does the same thing with Neo at the end of the first movie. She basically, he dies and she basically, with her love, brings him back to life. Um, so I so I, I loved that this movie ended with a sort of like a call, like a, a reversal or a callback back to that. It's like, it it just goes to show how strong those those characters' relationships are, uh, the, those characters have with each other is that they're just like, they absolutely refuse to give up on each other. Like, they're just like, yeah. no, I, you know, you, will, you won't die because this is not how it's supposed to happen. And it's, um, yeah, it's just beautiful. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's it's it, I I'm reminded a lot of that that uh, I don't know if you saw Mission Impossible Fallout, but the the mm-hmm. that whole oh, yeah. idea of like the I forgot what the what the what the line was specifically, but like saving the one life is is the equivalent to saving all of the lives. Like it's all about saving that one life, and it's like I really felt that I really felt that in this moment and then the scene. It's like it's like Neo has been told explicitly that if he saves Trinity, Trinity, he it'll cost the entire human race, but he's like, no, that the one life matters, you know, like her life matters. And, and it does because it's like without her, 
he wouldn't be able to save the world like he does at the end of the third movie. So it's like, it's, it's, it, it, this whole series is a really great examination into how, how decisions, how, how certain decisions spiral into other decisions and how, you know, how, you know, how time works. And, you know, it, while it might seem like things don't make sense at, at the time that they happen or that they go against sort of what our, what our programming or our consciousness is, that at the end of the day, everything has a reason. Everything has sort of something that it is building towards. Um, and yeah, that's, that's part of what, one of the many things that makes it such a cool series of movies. Yeah, yeah. I think the only person who, well, not the only person, but the, what really the other emotional big impact that the, the finale of this movie hits with is Morpheus's reaction because his whole life has been about this yes, prophecy. Yes. It sort of drove him, his his whole being was, uh, the Oracle said, and again, it's sort of that you speak it and so it becomes true. That's the whole Oracle's whole thing. She's like, I'm, she's like, I, they put faith in her. She says, you're going to be the one to find the one. And he's like, all right, well, I'm going to go look for the one, I guess, because that's what I, what my destiny is, this lady said. Uh, and mm-hmm, she seems to mm-hmm, know what's what. Yeah. And then now for him to realize he was just he was used just like everyone else was used to get them to that point. And he says that very, very kind of tragic Les Mis-esque, I have dreamed a dream, but now that dream is gone from me, which is really delivered yeah. with such poignancy by Lawrence Fishburne. And you really feel the fact that like oh. he, he, everything, his entire purpose has been to bring the one to save Zion and it's all bullshit. And I, I think that it really gives that character something interesting to reckon with. Yeah. I, I love to, I, I, I love that it's like, you know, Morpheus starts out the series believing in the one and he ends the series not believing in the one, but believing in Neo. It's yeah, like, it's yeah. not, it's not about believing in the prophecy or what you've been told. It's about believing in him as a person. And as, and it's like, I, that's what I love about the end of that movie is it's like, like Morvius has ostensibly lost all hope, but he keeps going because Neo's like, no, we have to keep going. Like we have to, like we have to keep doing this. And um, yeah, no, I, I loved the that Les Mis reference too. I think I think he says it specifically when the Nebuchadnezzar gets blown up, mm-hmm. um, which is yeah, it's emotional because it's like you know that was the ship that that was the ship that the whole first movie was set on. Exactly, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's like you're reading my notes right now, Jackson. That's exactly what I. Yeah, it it is. It was like the Millennium Falcon of this trilogy was the Nebuchadnezzar, and then no, no, poof, we're done. We're moving on from that. I will um, say, I, I I have a. I, I will say though, I do have a complaint about these movies. Um, in sort of sort of in relation to that, that is one of the few like legit complaints that I have about them. You can't tell any of the ships apart. Like if like if you show me a picture of one of the of one of the ships and another one of the ships, I'd say like that's the same thing. I think that's what Star <laughs> Wars did really. No, that's what Star Wars did really well because yeah. it's like the Millennium Falcon is like its, it's own true. shape. There's not another ship in that universe that looks like that. So it's like every time it comes on screen, instantly we see, oh, that's that ship. That means family, home, Han Solo, Leia, all these things. You know, I think, I think, I think this series could have done really, because, because the ships do kind of become characters, especially in, in, um, in the third movie, you know, they, it, it very much matters which, which ship each characters are on. And I, 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 it's the one design element that I got really frustrated with. I'm like, why couldn't you just make them look 
difference. So every time we cut to it, I'm like, oh, that's that person's ship. That's Niobe's ship. That's Morpheus's ship. This is this person's ship. But um, uh, anyway, one of the few complaints that I have with these movies. So no, it's valid, completely valid. Uh, I think, yeah, that that, that, that it's, there's certain homogenization, homogenization to a lot of the elements of Zion that I'm sort of just like, oh, okay, I guess that's just kind of what they do. I mean, even the the APU units that it feels just like completely from aliens and I know that was a kind of a complaint a lot of people had yeah. at the time it just there's the design elements in the third one I feel like are lacking in a lot of ways uh, even though there is a lot of narrative stuff that still works uh, that being said mm-hmm. Neo starts stops the sentinels uh, passes out and then we he's in a coma next to Bane who's of course survived because uh, he's got Smith on the brain so there was a big, I don't know if you this even ever occurred to you, but there was a a big sort of fan theory in the, in those seven months, I guess, uh, that percolated huh. around between those movies that the real world was going to be revealed to be like another version of a, of the Matrix. So like a Matrix within oh, a Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't oh, say it was a God, good idea. God. I was just like, oh man, I hope that's not where they're going. Because like I said, I experienced Yeah, that sounds like the time. Yeah. That kind of that sounds like the kind of shit the internet would come up with. Yeah, yeah that sounds about right. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, but so into revolutions, it's very much focused on the the military aspect of it. Obviously, that's like as you said earlier, so much of it is set in the real world. I think that's part of why the Reloaded yes. feels like so much more fun in a way, just because there's more, there's more of a sense of wonder, a sense of anything can happen in Reloaded and Revolutions. It's yeah. just, there's, there's a, it starts, it feels very end of a trilogy in that it, it you know, things start to feel yeah. sort of slightly repetitive, slightly like, oh, okay, this is, you know, we have the big scene uh, the, in the entrance to Club Hell with Trinity Morpheus and Seraph trying to get to Neo. And it's like, okay, this is like the lobby shoot from the scene, first yeah. one, but now they're upside down. Yeah. I mean, it's still fun, but it's also like <laughs> we're running a little low, low on steam here uh, with certain aspects of this movie. So that's one part that I I don't think works as well as they wanted to. I think Colin Chow, who plays Seraph, is such a boss in, in that sequence and in pretty much everything, he, all the action stuff in these movies. Uh, is there, yeah. Do you have anything to add on on the, the Club Hell battle? And then I want to back it up, obviously, to the train man. Yeah, well, I, 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 I get why people didn't really like this one at the time, because it's like, yeah, like what, what all of the coolest action sequences in this franchise have all played on what is possible within the Matrix. It's like, like the freeway sequence or um, the, the, you know, um, I forgot what 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 you called it, but when when um, Neo's fighting all the Agent Smiths, like it's like right. it's it, it's like the the Matrix is this playground where you can do all these crazy action scenes, and that's not really what the third one is like. So like so much of the action takes place in the real world, and I think it was like I I can imagine being an audience member in. 2003 and being just disappointed by the lack of kung fu in this movie. Um, that being said, though, I think the attack on Zion is just one of the craziest and coolest battle sequences I've ever seen in my entire life. I, I think that sequence was just like astonishing. And I was actually really pleasantly surprised they were able to stage an action sequence 
uh, in the real world in this franchise and make it just as compelling as one of the ones set in the matrix, but without all of the, gu- the gun foo and the, you know, jumping off walls and crazy shit. It was like, it was like, it was a great action sequence, but completely on its own terms for its own reasons. Um, ditto honestly with the final fight with agent Smith. It's like, it's, it's, mm-hmm. this movie is really, it's, it's something interesting. My, um, my roommate, uh, Chris, who I watch these movies with, uh, is super into fantasy. He's super, super into fantasy and, and fantasy world building and, and, you know, fantasy books and movies and, um, TV series. Uh, and the third one was his favorite. He was like, he was like, yeah, this, this, this is really, really cool. Cause he was like, it feels like return of the King. This feels like an epic fantasy final battle showdown movie and i was like oh yeah that's kind of what it is it's not it's not like the first two movies which were very much a blend of that but also like sci-fi and kung fu movies like i feel like i i I feel like this third movie is very strictly like a epic fantasy battle movie that's just what it is it's like it's it's like a lord of the rings movie it honestly felt it felt most like watching return of the king or two towers you know the that the the zion battle sequence definitely has big helms deep vibes uh so uh and it works i think i think i think that was i i i there was no point in this third movie where i was like oh that was the wrong way to take it that was a bad that was a bad call that was a bad way to 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 explain this or wrap things up like everything all the chips fell felt like they landed in the exactly in the places that they needed to. It just didn't necessarily look like the first two movies. So yeah, I get why the reception to it was a little bit more lukewarm, but I still think it's great. I still think it's a really great movie. I think it's truly excellent. I'm also realizing now as we're talking about this, how much conceptually the Matrix trilogy shares with like the Back to the Future trilogy in that the first film sets up this Ooh, new yeah. idea. We're going to go back in time. You're going to see your parents or, you know, the the real world, that what you think is the real world is a computer program. Then the second one is like complete ape shit, back and forth, split timelines, aliens, ghosts, you know, all kinds of weird, crazy shit, and, uh, the architect, whatever. And then the third one, they're like, all right, no, we need yeah. to pick a lane settle down, get comfy in there and just let things play out, whether it's, you know, Western or sort of a, a, essentially a kind of post-apocalyptic war movie, which is where the Matrix Revolutions mostly sits, except for the beginning and the ending. Um, So I think that's an interesting, an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. I gotta watch the Back to the Future movies again now. It's been a while since I've seen them. Um, But but yeah, I mean, like, look, good storytelling is good storytelling. And it's like, I think the reason, the reason I kept drawing comparisons in my head to shit like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings as I was watching this trilogy was because I think any story told in any kind of story told in that format and in that time and with that scope shares similarities in terms of the ebbs and flows of how things go and where the chips fall. It's like there's, there's an, there's an intuitiveness to a good trilogy that I think, um, I think the matrix really taps into that, um, other trilogies, the sequels didn't necessarily ultimately, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but got almost got there. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So I, I, I definitely, I definitely dig this one, but it is, it is definitely, it is definitely like, okay, we've wound everything up. Let's all just, let's just watch it all play out. Let's watch it all go where it needs to, you know? 
Right. And it's supposed to be the big payoff for so many of those supporting characters we get tossed at us in the first like half hour of Reloaded. And I think it kind of works in that regard. Uh, but I, I want to back it up a little. So Neo has basically a, a literal sort of out-of-body experience where his mind is stuck in between the Matrix and, and the real world or you know, stuck in, in the train station, the mobile avenue with the train man, yeah. character actor yeah. Bruce Spence, from, who was in actually Revenge of the Sith. Briefly on uh, crap, what was the name of that planet? I can't. Utapau. He was the the tall dude with the. the he's you'll, also. You'll know him if you see him. Yeah. No. Well, I correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't he in? Uh, he's in the Mad Max movies too, isn't he? He's in, I think, Road Warrior maybe, and he's also in the yeah, extended I think he's edition. Yeah, in Road Warrior. In the extended edition of, of Return of the, of the King, the yes. Mouth of Sauron. In that, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So he's all yes. over all yes. of these different properties. Yeah. Uh, but he had, he's got such he a cool a presence. Like, yeah, he does he really does? Um, he's also in 2003. He was also did a voice in Finding Nemo, so he was strangely one of the highest grossing actors. Like, as far as which you know, the performance, the the box office performance of uh, of his releases wow. that year. Um, but yes, that's so, crazy. Uh, it is crazy. I, I I do love that whole sequence though in the train, uh, in the train man. Uh, you know, the train yeah. station there with Sati and Ramakandra. Like it's, it just weirdly hits me in a very emotional way. The, the, where Neo is learning for the first time he's, he's, you know, he's never heard programs talk about love and, and uh, Ramakandra saying, I love my daughter very much. And I'm like, fuck this thing. This works. Like, I don't know why this works, but yeah. this scene works so so well, uh, the, you know, the importance is they love the, uh, the importance is the connection. The word implies it, it's a real coming from, you know, the Wachowskis. It's a real, it's a, it feels like a message really ahead of its time in a way too. coming from, from them specifically. Mm-hmm. It feels like a, a real, like, uh, inclusive sentiment back in a time, you know, when, you know, they weren't able to, uh, to, to tackle issues of gender and identity and things like that in in the same way mm-hmm. that they can now in that LGBT you know community the LGBT community wasn't as accepted in mainstream pop culture like you know that they would have put a lot more of that kind of stuff uh, that kind of content in these movies and tackled them like they did in Sense yeah. Eight had the the culture been up One to that th- point mm-hmm. yeah go ahead. One thing I I, I sort of t- to 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 build on that, and and this was something mm-hmm. I I I don't know why I noticed it this acutely on rewatch, but these movies are so diverse, like so mm-hmm. so diverse, like the 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 commitment to casting like really excellent actors of color in 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 all kinds of different roles in these movies was so so ahead of its time. Like I I like I think about like even movies nowadays. Are, don't feel as diverse as the Matrix movies do. Like it's there. Like it's it, 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 diversity. A lot of times in movies nowadays feels like oh we'll we'll put a we'll put a black person in there. We'll put one per- right. black person in there because we're woke, you know. Whereas it's like these movies, you don't even really notice it. But like half the cast is black. Like it's it's it, you know, and I think it just speaks to just how like the Wachowskis are just like good people deep down, I think. And I think, I think mm. they have such a positive forward. They, they have such a positive forward thinking outlook on, on life and, and culture that they, you know, I, you know, it, at the, at the time they were just like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to cast our movie with, 
you know, people. Like they're not gonna just just not gonna just be like white ass movie stars. It's gonna be like Lawrence Fishburne and Jada Pinkett Smith and um, you know, uh, what's her name who plays the Oracle? Like it, uh, Gloria Foster. Like it's it's it it is it's so incredible and and was so ahead of its time. And yeah, it's like I I think if they'd have gotten to make if they'd have gotten to make the Matrix trilogy, like probably post 2010, would there have been queer, would there have been queer characters in it? Of course, of course mm-hmm. there would have, hundred percent. you know, it's like they, 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 you know, I, I, uh, I love them so much. Yeah. But it's like, you know, like even in, even in that, even in that scene, even in the train sequence, just like making that like an Indian family, you know, like, I love that whole conversation too, that he has about karma. And it's like, he's like, you're a machine. How can you believe in karma? And he's like, what's the difference? You know, we all, we all have purpose. We all have fate. You know, this is all, these are, these are things that are not unique to just humans. Now it's like, now that there is artificial intelligence, yeah, why why can't machines fall in love? It's 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 a whole new subset of humanity that has gotten made and I think I think that's what part one of the things I really love about the third movie acutely is that it really goes into like look no. Now we live in a world where the machines are also people. You know, the machines are also people and what happens to the people in that machine also matters you know it's like like neo doesn't just he doesn't just save the human world by the end of the series he saves the whole world and i think it's like i i I think it's it's scenes like this one in the train station that really that really build just how important that is that it's like even though even though the machines are the the oppressors like they're you know they're they're, these programs are still they're people now you know we you you have Mm -hmm. to deal with that you have to take that into account well, in the marriage of karma slash, you know, purpose, it's kind of, you know, he, he defines karma as what I am here to do again with purpose. It's sort of the marriage of, you know, this is your, this is your purpose. This is what your air quotes destined to do, but you can choose what your purpose is. You can, it's those two, those two yes. elements aren't mutually exclusive. Uh, and as you were saying, this franchise up to this point has painted the machines as a hundred percent pretty much villainous. The Merovingian, the agents, like there's been no real empathy for them until this scene where Neo's like, oh crap, there there is another side of the story that we're not hearing because we're only on, you know, we're we're in the in Zion living in our little our little bubble and sort of demonizing all the machines when they're... I'm really looking forward to you watching the Animatrix because there is a two-part thing called the Mm -hmm. Second Renaissance, parts one and two, that discusses like sort of the rise of the machines, the struggle, the early war that leads to the creation of the Matrix, all in like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes or something, both parts together. And it, it goes through a lot of this and you sort of see how the machines were initially just wanting to be treated like as equals, wanting to be, you know, sort of accepted and how that sort of went awry and led to them sort of uprising against humanity and, and, uh, and then humanity scorching the sun, like, like Morpheus says, there's a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of that backstory I think is in there. And it, and it it's, takes until the third movie for the franchise to really sort of uh, unfold uh, the complexities yeah. in the machine side of things. The, the 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 mark of a great i think the the mark of a great story is complexity it's never just one thing at once it's never that simple it's always many things and it's like that's what makes the matrix such a great story is that it's not just 
humans good, machines bad. It's that, you know, no, this is a myth about our relationship with technology. And it's like, it, it, right. it, it, it takes what, what the birth of AI might look like and, and, and frames it in a way that feels like epic and religious and mythic, but like still, still, on, is, is still honest about like what that would what that would look like and what that would feel like you know in the context of our modern world and it's you know I I, I love the third movie particularly I love Revelations because it's so it it deals so much with that it dives so headfirst into that um, and you know even just down to making Neo a bridge between the two worlds, making him mm-hmm. capable of seeing, like seeing, like I, I, I love, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping around in the movie. Sorry. But like, mm-hmm. I love, I love that he, I love that he goes blind because it's like now his only way of seeing is through the machines. And it's like right. the fact that he has that is, is allows him to keep on fighting and keep on moving. It's, um, oh, it's excellent. I don't know. I, I don't know why people hate this movie. I think this movie's great. <laughs> Yeah, I don't hate I don't hate any of them. I, I think the, the drop in quality between the first one and the sequels is noticeable, but I do think the sequels are like I, I are I, I acknowledge them as canon. I've rewatched them several times. Like I said, I was uh in college when these movies came out. So I would put on the whole trilogy kind of back to back to back while I was like working on papers or whatever in the in the background, just because nice. I was so wrapped up in yeah. in this uh in this mm-hmm. world, you know, back in the day. And um, getting back to the club hell thing, we got a little more Merovingian, and a little more Persephone. Uh, there's, it feels like mostly the, the movie kind of reaffirming um, Trinity and, and Neo's bond of how far she's willing to go to save him again. And I do love that we get the drop of the Merovingian saying that he wants the eyes of the Oracle and then they can only be given, which I was like, oh, so that's why the Oracle has to submit to Agent Smith later on. That kind of thing. I thought that was a nice little bit of foreshadowing, which I didn't pick up on uh, in previous yeah, viewing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I love the reunion with Trinity and Neo in the train station, and the Don Davis score kicks in, mm-hmm. all of that. Uh, but it, it does mm-hmm. feel sort of like you know the first twenty five minutes is kind of unfinished business, just kind of wrapping things up and gearing up for uh, for the, the the revolution of the title. Uh, is there anything it's about Jabba the that Hutt. first? It's the job of the hut sequence. hundred percent job of the hut. It's yeah, totally it it's it's job of the hut, but with the Merovingian yeah. instead of job of the hut is basically what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Only Merovingian doesn't die, so he'll uh, he'll be back. Unless he's a program, so I don't know if he. I he'll guess he back. could be delayed. Yeah. But yeah, we we love. He, he's he's. I a mean, is anyone really dead in Star Wars? Is anybody really dead in Star <laughs> Wars? Like, who knows? Job of the hut might be alive. I saw job of the hut get choked out. It looks pretty. It looks pretty. Uh, pretty permanent there. Um, <laughs> he's not coming back through the force or anything. Um, uh, Job so of the we get, a Star Wars story. <laughs> I, I would watch that. Actually, wasn't it? I think Guillermo del Toro who was like, "I want to make like a you know Godfather, but like Job of the Hut style," and uh, that would be. Oh, amazing. did he like, say that? Something like that, like years ago when they oh, were like, "Who yeah. standalone movies of?" I'm like, "Please do that. That'd be great." Um, you know, you know, if Del Guillermo Toro. del Toro did that, it would be good. It would be really good, but only yeah, if right. Guillermo del Toro did it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, then we get to the scene in revolutions that I think everybody, including me was really waiting for where, uh, he goes to see the Oracle and it's basically, you know, we finally get a little bit. He's like, he, he goes there. He's like, I have these questions. Why did I do this? What is this? And uh, me is sitting in the audience was like, yeah, what up with that dude? 
<laughs> give us some answers. So we get, we get sort of kind of an answers. We get the power of the one extends beyond this world. The architect balances the equation. The Oracle's job is to unbalance it. And she wants to end the war. And it really just kind of keys up the epicness of Smith v. Neo, Dawn of Matrix or whatever you want to call that. Um, yeah. What are your, uh, this is, and this is where we get the whole opposite negative, the equation trying to balance itself out. I, I and again, gotta love that, like, ep, that, like, grand uh, scope of uh, good and evil kind of clashing. Uh, any, any thoughts on that scene and sort of because the, the Smiths are about to show yeah. up and take care of the Oracle in a second? Oh yeah. The, 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 it, it, it lends the story like a, a mythic quality. I feel like like yeah. it, it, it stops being like, it stopped like, like Smith stops being just like a nuisance and he starts being like an actual threat. It's like, no, 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 you don't get it. He, it's not that he's just like a, a virus that's got out of control. Like he is your, he is your, he is the yin to your yang. He is your cosmic opposite. Like that. If you don't, if you like, it's, it's, it is, I, you, you mentioned Harry and Voldemort earlier. And I think, I think that's mm-hmm. a really apt comparison. It's like, like, like only one can live like, like, uh, like they're, you know, one cannot live while the other survives, whatever, you know, it's like that kind of thing where it's like, you have to, you ha- you have to defeat him or else he will literally destroy everything, you know? And, 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 and then, yeah, I love that they follow up that scene with a really, really clear, look at what that looks like. Like, honestly, I think that the, the scene where the, all of the Smiths show up and possess everybody uh, and steal the Oracle is, is probably the closest that this series ever got to like outright horror. And mm-hmm. it does it really well. It's, 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 it's a really, really haunting little five minutes of movie where you get a, where you really understand just how, how great the stakes are and how powerful Smith has become. And you also get perhaps the, the, most hysterical evil villain laugh in a movie ever. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. So it's yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it's it's also for for Neo. It's the scene where he's you know it's the scene where the movie really lines up the fact that you have these two trains speeding towards each other and they're going to collide. Yeah. You know the threat of the the machines digging to Zion, Smith taking over the Matrix and beyond as we're about to learn in a few minutes but yes the scene with smiths uh Mm -hmm. the smiths not the band the the agent smiths um (laughs) catching up with sarah sati quotes sati with the the cookies need love like everyone does uh the the not such a bad guy once (laughs) you get to know me all that like weaving is on fire in in this scene um he, he like oh oh god the uh the moment with the oracle he's like uh, freaking out, like, oh, why would she stay? Why wouldn't she leave? Or he picks up the cookies and throws them. Like, maybe you, maybe you knew I was going to do that. Maybe you didn't. Like, he's starting to crack even more <laughs> than usual. It's like if that, if that if you, it's uh, like if you did, that meant you you placed that there on pur- you know, purposefully. You know, that whole I love it. It's so great, and then kind of punctuating with the with the laugh. That's probably as you sort of alluded to one of the best like laughing gifts of all time that I feel like periodically over yeah. over the last year or whatever when we were talking about doing this episode we would just drop that gift in every once in a while just because it's <laughs> it's like the perfect encapsulation of how it's much perfect. fun these movies yeah. are and how much fun weaving yeah. is to watch uh, so great he's amazing in this I also I, I love it too because it's like I think Agent Smith you know his 
it's it's not that he's trying to become human, but it's like he's free from he he is free from being just this like you know deterrent program that just exists for one purpose. And 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 I I love that laugh so much because it's like it feels like he's trying. Like it feels like he's like I'm laughing. I'm laughing. Right. I, that's <laughs> totally what I'm doing. I'm laughing. <laughs> but he's like not. It's like it's it's like forced in the best possible way. It's like forced in a way that makes his character even funnier, even scarier. <laughs> it's just, and it's is. It's just one of the most memeable moments in all of these movies. No, it's like halfway through that laugh, his eyes kind of like turn inward or something. Like it's just like his like <laughs> eyebrows kind of arch in a, in a different way. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy. And of course it works from a character standpoint too, because he's taken over the Oracle. So he sees, I know it does. I've seen it. Everything. He does that whole, yeah, he's seen up to the, mm-hmm. the choice that he doesn't understand. Going back to what the Oracle was just saying. Yeah. It's, it's uh-huh. the writing is so yeah. it's so clean and everything. Like you watch it the first couple of times and you're like, I don't know, understand what the hell is happening. This is like really <laughs> complicated and dense. But the more you watch it and the more you think about it, and the closer you the closer uh you pay attention to things, it everything is the setup and payoff is all there. Uh it to to, it is. to yeah. you know, it, it's all out on the table. There's not, it's not like the, the Wachowskis are pulling, pulling things out of their ass. I mean, they are as far as it's a science fiction world and they can make up the rules as they go along, but they, they set things up and pay them off. It's not just, well, where did that come from? Now there's, you know, now, now, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's great. It's, it's really strong uh, storytelling. I think too, is, is, is why even the crazy moments like that really, really resonate. I, I again like I think I think the cohesion between these three movies is so much stronger than it is with most franchises nowadays. Like 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 even 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 the good Star Wars movies, I feel like like even the original trilogy, it's like you can tell like oh they brought in a different director and you know they wanted to take it in this direction or they wanted to add this thing. These movies are like like watching these three movies back to back to back is the most gratifying thing ever. You're just like oh wow yeah no that all makes sense. It's all there. It's like Laura. It's like like watching Lord of the Rings back to back. It's 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 it is it is true excellence. Yeah, and there's no time lapse between Re- Reloaded and Revolutions. It literally picks up what a couple hours later, maybe. I mean, Trinity took a nap. Right, and every, nothing's off. changed. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> it's it's. Uh, and I love movies that do that. I love when when you can literally watch a trilogy, and then, you know, there's a few months or whatever between the first and second Matrix movies. But when you can do like Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, these movies where you just kind of run through one to the next, and there's not there's not those giant gaps in time. Like, obviously we both love the star Wars movies, but you watch one and then it's like 10 years later, then this happens. And I'm like, Oh, okay. But what happened like in the middle, I guess I have to watch an animated series or something to pick up on what's going on. Uh, So I love that kind of continuous three part story. And and I think they, they really nailed that here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you were Mm -hmm. saying about Morpheus really believe in believing in Neo over the one. And I, and I think you see that, uh, extending also to Niobe, who volunteers her ship for him to take to the Machine City, even though Roland and everyone else is funny, like you're, you're out of here. Roland. Roland is that that one dude who's like very upset about everything. He's I feel like he says like three times in this movie, "This person's out of their goddamn mind." So he loves to say that. Yeah. Um, well, he's <laughs> the, he's a he's a realist. I, I yeah. 
Yeah, well, I like that character because it's like he's yeah. he's the realist, right? Like he's the one that after the Battle of Zion, he's like, y'all y'all need to calm, like y'all need to get your head straight. Like the machines will be back in like ten minutes here, while everybody else is like celebrating. You know, he's and and I think it's I think it's I think it's cool because like yeah, that means he does end up butting heads with Morpheus and everybody who are like, you have to trust Neo to do this. He's like, I don't want to trust this guy. I'm trusting, you know, what I see in front of me, and I think I think. I think what's cool about this movie is you see you see the benefit of that, but it's like the benefit of that paired also with the hope that Mo- Morpheus has in Neo. You know, it's like it's a, it's a combination of that and sort of the boots on the ground. You know, to, you know, hard edged. You know, we're gonna we're gonna do what needs to be done. You know, this is how things are that um, that uh, Captain um, Captain Roland really brings to it, which. Um, which makes it such a great war movie, you know. I think I think you know yeah. Revelations is if if I were to classify this movie in any one genre, I think it's I think this is definitely a war movie more than anything else. It's just a futuristic sci-fi war movie, you know, where they have right, exactly. and you know. I, I love the fact yeah. that I think Jada Pinkett is uh, Jada Pinkett Smith is so good in this movie too. This one specifically, she actually has things to do mm. in this film. She gets her again to go yeah. back to this, the the Star Wars thing. She gets her like Han Solo. Uh, Kessel Run kind of moment, like later in the movie, where where she's doing crazy things with yeah uh, with the hammer, uh, and it's really exciting to me that she's coming back for four as well. Uh, I, it's it's interesting. Like I'm really curious what what we can kind of expect based on the characters that they sort of cherry picked from this trilogy to return for the next one. Because I'm 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 wondering how Niobe fits mm-hmm. into all of that. Well, I, I I like Niobe a lot as a character, and I I do felt she was I did feel she was like a little underused in the movies. Um, I think it's I think I think she's good and it all works, but it's just like she's 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 such a fun presence, and Jada Pinkett Smith is so wonderful. I'm I'm very very excited to see her come back, and I I hope it I hope it's in a I hope it's in a pretty sizable capacity because that's a that's a that's a car you don't want to keep in the garage, you know. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a character you want to use. That's a that's a you know that's going to be a lot of fun. And yeah, I love her sort of when when, she, when you know because they they set it up so beautifully the, the ship has to like navigate through all these like service tunnels and everybody's like you can't do that that's impossible and she's like i'll be fine you know and, i've done it yeah, and then you exactly. see her you see her like actually doing it in the movie and you're like how is it possible for them to, like it's like every 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 single turn is like going up and down and around and you're like like oh, oh my gosh you know it's she's a great character she's 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 wonderful i'm definitely excited to see her come back we have to talk about Bane stowing away on the the logos and uh, Neo's face off with uh, a very different version of Smith who still loves to monologue. He's still like li- toying with me. He gets, uh, he gets such pleasure. I'd be like, Oh, you still don't recognize me. Look behind these dull cow eyes. And he still sounds exactly the same as <laughs> you were saying earlier. Uh, I, I, you I know, swear it was I, Hugo I, weaving. Yeah. <laughs> It does feel like Hugo Weaving did the the voiceover and they laid it over, but I swear it's not. It, it it's um it's a really fun way to have Smith uh, to illustrate how pervasive a threat he is. I mean, it doesn't. This one doesn't mm-hmm. succeed either. Uh, it, it doesn't. You know, it, it just it succeeds in in blinding Neo, which, as you said, is really interesting because it it reveals that only way that he can connect to the world now is through the matrix, through the code. And it also plays mm-hmm. quite blatantly into the, the sort of blind Messiah idea. Uh, 
what what else about this sequence uh, really stands out to you? I, I also when, before we get to that, I really love the fact that even when he looks at Smith through the through the code, Smith's sort of uh, Matrix visage still has on the sunglasses. That's cool. <laughs> oh yeah, you got you got to have the sunglasses. It's, yeah. that's the that's the. That's the look, that's you know, look. That's the that's yeah. the key to let you know. Yeah, it's again. I mean, it's like what I was saying with the ships. It's like I think good design, whether it's costume design or production design or whatever, like good design is specificity. It's oh, there is this little indicator that is going to tell you, oh, that's who this person is, or that's what this is. And it's like I love that the second that you see sunglasses, immediately you're like Agent Smith. Yes, one hundred percent. Like it's just mm-hmm. it, it's it's a it's a really strong choice and a really and a really strong indicator. But um. But anyway, to answer your question, uh, I think what I love so much about that scene is that it is, it is, in it is a fight scene between all these characters who have been fighting in the Matrix in the real world, <laughs> which was pretty, which was pretty funny because it's like you know when obviously like when Trinity and Neo are fighting Agent Smith in the Matrix, it's like all this beautiful elegantly choreographed kung fu and just like bullet mesmerizing time, yeah. and then you get into the re- yeah and bullet time and everything and then you get into the real world and they're just like it's a slug fest they're just like throwing bunches and throwing each other into walls it's like there's you know i i it, it's there, there's none of that balletic grace because at the end of the day that's just not really how fighting works you know it's like like when your body like when your body takes a punch in the matrix they can kind of just like bounce back from it but when your body takes a punch in the real world you're like oh i have a broken rib now well that means i'm gonna like move differently and this and that and it's like so it was that that scene was so crazy because i was like wow these characters have been fighting in virtual reality their whole lives and now they're actually having to fight each other in real life and getting to see what that looked like was just it, it made it such like a guttural visceral scene i was like oh wow this is like this is this is what real fighting is and it's like it's it's painful it's it hurts you know that's a yeah, that's a, it's it's a tough scene. Um, like like he's when he's holding the knife up to Trinity's throat, like he, he's like cutting her a little bit, so she's already mm-hmm. bleeding, and it just it like adds like an extra level of like oh god, like oh get in there and fix it, like <laughs> just you know it's um yeah I, I I I love how across all these movies, but specifically in this one, how 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 well they distinguish the real world from the world of the Matrix, uh, just in terms of how people move, how they fight, how they interact with each other, how they bleed. Like it's all it's all in the Matrix. It's all so heightened and stylistic. But whenever you're in the real world, it's real. It hurts. You know, it's there's it's bloody and and gruesome and painful. Um, yeah. What is that moment where she's he's holding like the hatch door open and she she's like kicking him in the face and it's just like this all this blood yeah. and like bruising yeah it's it's really intense uh, I also love the the sort of uh, twist reveal whatever you want to call it later on where he uh, Neo says to Smith about things uh, um, you were right all along it, it was inevitable. And that's sort of set mm-hmm. up here as a callback to it's really revealed, returns here as a reference to the end of the first movie uh, with the sound of inevitability and all that stuff uh, in the, in the subway scene. But mm-hmm. I, I love that they, they kind of refresh it here so they can pay it off at the end of this movie. And I think that that's a really cool way that, uh, you know, it, it, the movie sort of ultimately reveals, yeah, Smith was right. It was inevitable. Neo would had mm-hmm. to submit to him mm-hmm. in order to win. 
and, and I think that's such a, a clever way of reframing that that word and that uh, the fact that the fact that submission isn't always defeat. I think that's an interesting, and that, that's also yeah. something that goes to the Last Jedi, actually. Uh, with Luke Skywalker's mm-hmm. sort of sacrifice at the end there, which I think a lot of people completely misread. Um, but that's another conversation. Uh, that from this point, we're pretty much... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Respond. I was just so funny with the whole... Uh, the, you know, speaking of the Star Wars sequels, you know, you're saying like there's that whole blind messiah trope, you know, where it's like he goes blind and like that's a that's a thing in epic stories. And I think back yeah. in the in the original script that Colin Trevorrow wrote for uh, the the third, the ninth Star Wars movie, Ray goes blind in the in the in the last act of the movie and she has to see with the force. Right. Um and it just I now that would fit in really well with the with the whole thing, but it's like I, I don't I don't think that third movie ended up having any real interest in mythic significance. Uh, no, <laughs> um, no, not really. Anyway, yeah. Uh, then, so then we pretty much shift in hardcore into the, the revolution part of the title. Uh, we get Mafuni's speech and, uh, you know, I, I feel like this is all fun to watch, but it doesn't have, again, it doesn't, it lacks sort of the freshness and the visionary, uh, ness. That's not a word, but the vision of the first movie. And, and, you know, you get this character Chara who feels kind of Vasquez light, you know, Vasquez of aliens, uh, Niobe's yes, run. We got a lot of big cool. aliens vibes here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's cool. I feel like it goes on slightly too long for my taste. Uh, and it's a lot of you know the, the the characters we've met, but then also also a lot of either characters that aren't particularly well developed and or use stereotypes as sort of shorthand. Uh, so it's it's cool. I think visually, but it's from a character perspective it's like i don't none of the characters that we love are really engaged like mafuni has a a scene in reloaded and then shows up here and gives a speech and we're like oh okay that guy from the last uh, all right you know what i mean so i feel like that's the big problem here is mm-hmm. that none of our characters are there at this point so we're spending like i don't know 20 minutes or whatever this this whole like ordeal is with the kid taking on Mafuni's mission and Z kind of helping to get the gate open. And there's tension there with them getting the gate open in time for Niobe and Morpheus to show up with the EMP. And uh, I'm realizing as I'm saying that how how complex all of this is, um, which, which again, narratively works, but it's like the battle. I feel like the stakes are lacking because like I said, none of the, none of the, the characters we love are really part of it. It's it is it is I think that's a bit of a problem in that way but I I I looked at the battle more as like it's as its own sort of like independent individual sequence mm-hmm. um and and I think in that regard I think it's I think it's incredibly well pulled off I I you know yes are the mech suits a little too familiar I I yeah I I I think they could have I I think they could have done something a little bit more inventive with those but once the machines show up, like once they blow that hole in the top of the wall and like, and like all of the mech suits at once start like firing and concentrating all their fire at the specific point is just some of the most like breathtaking images in a sci-fi action movie I've seen. Like, like I, I love how that like the, when the machines move in, they move in like these like tentacles that like weave in and out of the, mm-hmm. of the space in this like crazy, yeah. crazy way. Um, like I, it's, it's, it, it, it's, you know that bat, yeah. That battle has got so much complexity, and there's there are so many different 
POVs that you're following and the way that they, I, I think it's like, even though, yeah, even though it's like, you don't quite care about the kid quite as much as you care about like, you know, anybody else in the movie. It's like right. you, like when he like puts on the mech suit and has to like walk over to like the gate to open it up. I was like freaking out. I was like, dude, one Sentinel <laughs> could hit that guy and he would be over the edge in a second. So it's like, right, I think yeah, it's exactly. like, I think taken on its, I think taken on its own terms as its own like little individual sequence. I, I think it's just astonishing. I, I, I thought it was really beautifully done um and and it, it, it I kind of like the freeway sequence i think it all crashes into itself really really well you know it's like like i didn't even realize until about halfway through the sequence that i hadn't even seen neo in like a half hour like i yeah, hadn't he even does i hadn't even seen a while he like yeah and it, it kind of that's why i like it, it this movie kind of reminded me of lord of the rings in that way because it's like like there will be like entire like an entire hour of movie where you don't even see what's going on with frodo and like two towers but it does doesn't matter because the battles are so intense and so well executed that you're just fo- you're just like laser focused in on the action, um, and then you get to the end of it and you're like, oh wow, oh my god, that was just one battle. We still haven't even. <laughs> still haven't even won yet um mm-hmm. yeah no i was i was just i was i was really i was really impressed by it and 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 impressed too because the series had, like i said it had not really done anything like that up until that point like all the action had been really concentrated to just like fun crazy stuff in the matrix but it was like it it really showed that like i i think that sequence really showed that you could still have really astonishing action in the real world it's just gonna operate differently it's like the people aren't gonna be fighting with their cool awesome kung fu moves they have to fight like these giant squid machines with like these giant mech suits but it was um as far as fighting giant squid machines with giant mech suit (laughs) goes i i think the sequence was probably the best (laughs) Yeah, I do. Like I said, I do like the way it all came together with the uh, the gate opening and and the kind of uh, in, intensity in that moment of trying to get it open before the uh, the ship like crashes into it and and kind of and you know mm-hmm. I guess kind of dooms them all. I do love that. Uh, but then we do eventually get back over to Trinity and Neo, and we actually see them fly over the fields uh, from the first movie where the human beings are grown where all yeah, the pods are, yeah. which I thought was really cool. And I kind of forgot that we did, that their journey took them right past that part of it because it's been a while since I've watched these. So when they, but when they flew into it, I, I immediately recognized. It's like, oh shit, that's right. They're going through the fields. Me too, uh, yeah. It's, it was, it's a really cool detail that I'm glad they, they threw in there to, uh, to give us, again, that sense of geography of the machine city and, and you know where the fields fit in with the the uh, the source and um, and how they how they end up getting there by going over the the clouds and and seeing you know the, the kind of the beautiful clear sky uh, above what what is oh, sort of what do you moment. think is yeah. the significance of, of that moment just like hope beyond the the darkness or or what is the what is that that I, moment to you yeah represent? well I th- it's it's the last thing that Trinity sees, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about it, because like immediately after that, the ship crashes and she dies. But I, 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 I love that you get her reaction to it. That she gets to before she dies, she gets to see the sky and just have this like moment of peace where it's like, wow, you know, this is this is the world, this is Earth, and it's still just as beautiful as it was before. Just you know, 
shrouded under clouds and <laughs> machines and shit. You know, I, I, yeah, I, I, that, that moment is particularly meaningful to me because it is, it's, 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 it's kind of like a send off for that character. You know, she, she fights so hard because she believes so much in, 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 in the light, in the hope that it's like, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's great that she got to see that, honestly. Yeah. She gets a little, she gets the, uh, the briefest confirmation that 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 is possible that there's still you know uh, mm-hmm. a sense of salvation for the human race and and beyond yeah like you're saying beyond all of this stuff uh, and the, the battle with the machines that there is something perhaps more on the other side and yeah I guess it is sort of her her glimpse into I guess into the afterlife too she gets a little bit of of that moment before uh, well she does have a, a, kind of an extensive death speech at least where she gets to yeah, say uh, yeah. she gets to express her true sentiment to Neo she has a whole thing where she says you know last mm-hmm. time when I died I I said I'm sorry and then I was like oh that's my last thought to Neo I'm sorry uh, so I love that the it, it, <laughs> the movie is self-aware enough to be like hey remember the first one we killed Neo then we killed Trinity now we're going to kill Trinity but she's going to acknowledge hey last time I died I didn't get to do it right so I'm thank you for giving me the second chance yeah, it's I, I remember again, like, like talking about like when I saw this movie for the first time, I was like, uh, well, they killed Trinity. Oh, wow. You know, but it's like watching it watching it this time. I was like, wow, it's so it is such a beautiful send off for that character. And so and so nice that she gets to have this closure with Neo um, that she didn't necessarily the last time she died her so to speak um and that she gets to sort of do it on her own terms i thought i thought i thought was really i thought that was really nice and again just speaking to carrie ann moss as as a performer it's just it's just a really really beautiful beautifully acted scene yeah yeah i think so too and then neo speaks to do ex machina which is the giant machine baby face whatever that thing is Um, do they ever refer to it as that in the movie or is that just what they call it after the fact that's what they call it in after the i mean well i also earlier in uh with reloaded i I referred to that the smith battle as the burly brawl which i think is what they called it during production that's what the the track on the soundtrack is called the the one at the end is technically (laughs) i think on set was like the super burly brawl uh, the one that we're about to get to with Will Smith. <laughs> so they're just yes. like, yeah, it's just like behind the scenes, like shorthand for the different sequences. Uh, but yes, I, so mm-hmm. he kind of, you know, strikes a deal with the machines. Uh, Program Smith has grown beyond your control, which I love. You got you to gotta love when the hero and the villain team up against an even worse villain. That's a classic, uh, you know, storytelling yeah. device. And and I love the I, fact I that love that has evolved yeah. to that point. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, exactly. Well, no, I I love I it was it was it was one of the things that I feel like I really appreciated on this rewatch was that it was like at, at the end of the day the the machines were going to be like the 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 machines had their own version of a pandemic and that version and that was Smith. You know, it was it was a right. disease. It was literally going to wipe yeah. out their entire. Yes source of power and it was like and and i and it like if if you asked me in the first one if you asked me if what i thought the final confrontation between neo and the machines was going to be after the first movie i would not have guessed anything like that and yet it feels so right because it's like mm-hmm. the only way that he's able to 
to defeat them is literally by bargaining with them. He's like, look, you, you, you have a problem and I am the solution to your problem. It's, it's, it, it, it's really interesting because it's like, I, I, it makes me even more curious to see what the what the fourth one is going to be like because now I think Neo isn't just the savior of humanity. He's the savior of the machines. He's literally the one who came in and saved them from a virus that was going to absolutely wipe them out. Um, right. And like, like I love that. I love, I love that moment after he dies. I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but that moment after he dies, where the machines just like gracefully, like Jesus, like put him, put him on a thing and move him, move mm-hmm. him away. Like it's, it's so, like it's, it feels so reverent. So I'm like, I'm very curious to see what, what the machines' relationship with Neo is going to be like going forward in the series, since it's like, in, in, in sort of confronting Smith, he, he completely changed the paradigm of how they behave towards humanity um and it's it's monumental and it's and it's and it's and it's i think even more i think it's even more powerful and interesting than just like oh the humans beat the machines and destroyed all the machines it's like it's so it's so much more complex and nuanced than that there's like there's economics involved there's you know like there's a virus involved. It's like, it's, it's, there are, there are stakes for people on both sides. It's, you know, it's part of what makes this such a cool conclusion. And like, it, it isn't, it, it like, it isn't banal and simple in the way that I feel like a lot of third chapters end up being. It's like, no, it's like, no, we're going to keep, we're going to keep asking questions about the world and keep asking questions about the characters and keep making it even more interesting and complex. Yeah, no, totally. And not only not only does that is that how the the conflict with Neo and the machines ends. The way the conflict, like we sort of already touched on, the way the conflict with Neo and Smith ends, it doesn't Neo doesn't like punch Smith really hard. I mean, we have the slow motion punches across the face, which are again really really fun. Uh, but but then it's then he he gives in to Smith, which is thematically satisfying, but you know, uh, not what you expect. And also just as a side note, there was a, another, there was actually, there's actually been three video games based on the matrix. There was the matrix online, which had a continuing story. And there's a whole thing in there, which I've I didn't play that, but it was live from 2004 to 2009 where Morpheus, like a world of Warcraft type game, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Mm. Morpheus is supposedly dead, but it's unclear. His, his body and Neo's body have never been really found. So it's unclear what the hell's going on with that, or even that that's going to be canon with the fourth one. But there is a alternate ending to the, <laughs> the revolutions after the Super Burly Brawl in this other game called The Matrix Path of Neo, where you get to that point. Ooh. And I think there's like this, um, there's like these very like rough animated little figures. And I think it's supposed to be the Wachowskis. And they're saying, yeah, you know, we, 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 this is how it goes in the movie, but that's not very satisfying <laughs> for, for a video game. So here's something else that we've, came, oh we've come up with. And so Smith like becomes, I think he takes pieces. I think there's pieces of the buildings and vehicles and he becomes like a big Mecca Smith. And this is what you fight in the final level. It's on YouTube. If you care to get a glimpse of any of this. Oh mess. my gosh. Uh, there's a big mecha smith that you fight at the end of the matrix path of neo because they're just trying to go for the most epic boss possible for the the very last level of this video game rather than you just being like your 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 final mission is letting you know let smith 
take you know absorb you. Um, I think that it's just it's just yeah. a really fun way to completely <laughs> to completely flip it. And then I think at the very I, end you see the sunset or the sunrise, and it's like we are the champions is playing. It's really weird, um, but definitely <laughs> worth checking out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's that's I, I I well here's the thing I would have loved to see I would have loved to see all of the Smiths like like form together into one giant like Mecca Smith, um, uh-huh. but I, I I would not have wanted that to sacrifice <laughs> the actual ending to that battle, which I think is like really cool and really beautiful. Uh, so, but that would have been cool to see. Maybe they maybe they I bet they wanted to do that and then they just didn't have the money to. I, they were, Maybe. I mean, they were like, like Warner Brothers, giant Mechsmith. And they were like, you can have everything, but you can't have everything. <laughs> but uh, I, I love that. I love that battle sequence, though, but, but yeah, between him too. and Agent Smith, where it's like raining. It's just, oh, oh, it's so cool. Um, like when they're like falling down between the, between the buildings and you see uh, like all of the Smiths like looking in from the windows. It's just like, mm-hmm. like this movie has just some of my favorite images in a movie that I've seen. It's just, it's just breathtaking. You know, when they like hit each other and like all the rain just like <laughs> goes away and it's like this giant bubble of air. It's, oh, so cool. <laughs> There's also elements of like I got a little bit of Revenge of the Sith kind of element too when they, when they punch each other and they go both go flying back sort of simultaneously like how about the point of the battle is how evenly matched they really are so like I said with Man of Steel and, yeah and exactly it's just these two are equally powerful they were gonna fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and yes certain points Smith oh, Smith is winning certain points Neo is winning but ultimately this battle's not gonna end until somebody kind of brings this, the stalemate to a close and, and chooses to do that uh, and, and you know the, smack, mm-hmm. the fact that Smith can fly now uh, it's a very anime-inspired sequence, and I say this as someone who hasn't even watched that much anime, but I can t- I know you, you can just feel it in the air that it's anime-inspired, and it's hard for yeah, it's hard for yeah. me to imagine the Wachowskis coming up with and, and like Warner Brothers saying no to them because I feel like it feels like they were able to do so much with this scene. I feel like it's the kind of sequence that some people might be like, okay, this is overkill, but I, t- I, I think they can go fuck off. I think this is so much. Like, it's it's like, the whole point I, it's is, like it, it has to be epic. It, 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 and the fact that it's darker, that it's set in, in night, means that any of those little like CG imperfections that were so noticeable in the previous movie, you can, can gloss right over it because it's, it's easier to hide those scenes. Yeah, here. exactly. I just like people who think that scene is over the top. I'm just like, did you watch any of the other Matrix <laughs> movies? Like, did you? Yeah. Like, yeah. oh my gosh. I, I, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it is, it is really. I, I think it is such a powerful. I, I think it's such a powerful final fight scene of this, of this series because it's like at the end of the day that's you know that's what it's been about is this is this tug of war between between you know the force of hope and good and choice and the you know the machine like and i think smith is sort of the perfect embodiment of that it's just like this 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 thing this this intelligence that just you know can is has gotten so powerful that it's just consuming everything and it's like it's it is it is one of the most epic fight scenes in a movie i have seen and it it, it continues to blow me away of course, we get the "Why, Mr. Anderson," which again, kind of like the uh, the 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 oh, speech preceding the Burly Brawl thing, 
the purpose that binds us. Now we get the whole, why, Mr. Anderson? Why do you persist? And he gets like a Southern accent there, which I was like, where did that come from? It's like, wow, Mr. Anderson, why do you persist? I'm like, where did that come from? But sure. Uh, uh, <laughs> that whole thing about how, um, is it for peace? Maybe it's for love. And like, there was a point where I had that, a lot of that memorized. Illusions, Mr. Anderson, vagaries of perception, temporary, uh, temporary constructs of a feeble human intellect trying desperately to justify an existence that is without meaning or purpose. This is from my memory right now. I'm not looking, reading anything because I've seen this so I, much I, and I that did, monologue makes great job. <laughs> Thank you. I, I just love yeah. the way he delivers it and the way that it's, it's just, it's good shit. It's, it's, it's such a great moment. And I, and I love Neo's response to it. I love that response to it when he's mm. just like, I choose to, you know, I, 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 because, because I can, because I, because I have that ability because it's, because it is within my power to decide my own destiny. And it's like, it's, it's again, it's like, it's, it's his superpower. It's like, it's not, his superpower isn't that he's, you know, can fly or, you know, blow up buildings or this or that. It's like his superpower is that he understands that at the end of the day, you, 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 you make your own decisions and you make your own fate. And it's like, that's, that's something that Smith just doesn't seem to have any concept of. He's like, why do, what keeps driving you? I'm so confused. <laughs> yeah. Oh, He's yeah, so frustrated. It's just great. Like, it's, it's great. It, it's amazing how yeah. he goes on for like, I don't know, a minute or and change, just like asking him, is it this, this, this multiple choice, motherfucker, give me an answer. And then Neil's like, no, none of those. I think, like, yeah. So close. It's I this this movie is so this movie is so like deliciously cheesy in that it's just like it's just not yeah. afraid to like it's not afraid to lean into these like huge 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 over the top moments that are just like 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 you, you don't even really notice that Smith is monologuing in that moment just because you're like you're just so wrapped up in it um, in all of it it's it's great. So then uh, Neo realizes that it's inevitable, lets himself get taken over by, uh, by Smith. Of course, it's the Oracle Smith, which is why, you know, which is why he's the one that's fighting, uh, that, that, you know, because the rest of them just going to enjoy the show, that whole thing. Uh, and then the deletion, uh, I guess, message starts getting sent out and Smith starts to glitch. I think when I first saw this, it took me a, a couple watches to really be like, wait, what's happening? Um, I don't know if I was just really yeah. dense or what was the, what was going on, but you know, there's so much happening in this world is so complex that I think you don't really put together. Oh, that's why Neo had to do that because he's connected to the source. And that's how you had to get Smith touching the yeah. source so that the, the source could just delete Smith uh, like whole cloth from the matrix. It, and, it doesn't, and yeah, it doesn't explain it to like, it's interesting right. in, in, a, in a series that's all about like explaining things to you. It's really interesting how that last beat, that final death scene is just completely communicated through visuals. Uh, I don't know if it entirely worked quite as well as it should have since I, I think I speak for both of us when I say that it didn't, it was a little confusing on first watch, but mm -hmm. I don't know. The emotion of it felt right. It was like, I, there was something, there was something that rung really true about like what I was seeing on screen. Even if it was like, I didn't quite understand until later what exactly happened, you know? But upon rewatch, I think it, it it's the, it's the kind of conclusion that I think gets stronger and stronger the more you watch it and the more you're like, Oh, of course this is the way it was inevitable. It's the only way this could end. I mean, how it, it's, it, it it's a beautiful way to wrap up that that story, and for all 
for all the the action and all the fighting that Neo does, his his real act of heroism was giving giving up, kind of like giving in to what his you know yeah. what he was capable of achieving in that moment, and and then you get that real cathartic, you know, the kid kind of running around. He does he even does like a little hop at one point that always cracked me up. It's like the war is over, and he kind of hops yeah up yeah and runs around. I was like Jesus, what a doofus um <laughs> but uh the, the war is over this or the war is over and you get that really like kind of a uh, powerful moment when everybody's reacting start you know again link kind of leading the charge and the emotional response to something big happening uh and you get the morpheus and knee mm-hmm. and niobe uh you know thank you neo thing uh i, I really like that again for all the stuff i've bitched about all these supporting characters and i'm like do we really need this many people the way that it ends with Link and everything, I, I really think is is pretty is pretty powerful and pretty special. And then especially being intercut with, like yeah. you're saying, you know, being sort of carried away, very much a messianic figure uh, by the machines. I think is it's so like they're so careful with his body too. They're like this dude is our Jesus mm-hmm. now. It's like are they gonna? Are, is he gonna be their one? Yeah. And like yeah, like how, how is that relationship gonna shift in four? I'm I'm very curious. Uh, but before we get to Four and our brief thoughts on that, but go ahead. You want to say something? Well, I was uh, kind of, kind of that. You know, I, I, yeah. I, I like I. This movie, it doesn't end abruptly, but it, it, like, there's no epilogue. Like, there's no, there's no. Oh, and then, and then this happened, and then there's mm-hmm. no, there's no Frodo going back to the Shire or you know celebrating with the Ewoks or stuff. Like, it ends and then you're out of it. Which I think I don't know if you need anything else. And I, well, I mean. There is that scene between the Oracle and uh, the Architect uh, right. in the Matrix with the with the beautiful sky, uh, which I, I feel like too is like I feel like that sky is very evocative of very intentionally evocative of the sky, the actual sky that um, uh, Trinity sees right before yeah, she dies when totally. they would go right above the clouds. It's a, a yet another kind of like cool callback within itself, but it's like it, it was interesting. Like I left the movie being like, oh well, what happens to humanity now? Like what what happens to humanity in the machines? And and and, and the movie doesn't concretely answer that. And I and it, it it it's a little frustrating, but I think it's at the same time it's like it's it's cool because it allows it to exist more in your imagination after the fact. You're like, well, what does happen now? Well, it's like anything, honestly. Like the the the, the paradigm of the world has shifted once again. You know, now people can choose to leave the matrix if they want. Like there's a, you know, it's it's a it's it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a somber but weirdly hopeful ending, which is why I I I love that thing that the Oracle says to the architect when he's like, Did you know that this was going to happen? And she's like, I didn't know it was gonna happen. I believe it was going to happen you know it's a it's yeah a, it, it's a it's a good it's a great button to the movie but it's not what i expected necessarily you know for for sure yeah we we get the little uh first one i love the the, the matrix reloads uh and you get sort of the black cat kind of glitch which is a reference to the first movie that it's a glitch in the matrix the black cat walks past and then kind of re, re, reloads and the, another black cat walks right past uh, Sati now has the purpose that I guess presumably she's the one that does the sun, uh, the sunrise and sunset within the matrix. That's kind of her purpose as a program that now she has a place in this new world. And yeah, so we were sort of saying earlier, the architect and Oracle kind of like, uh, almost like betting humanity's fate, uh, and kind of, you know, playing this. She he even says it's a very dangerous game you've been playing or something like that. Uh, and it does, it ends with an, mm-hmm. it ends not with a period or an exclamation point. It ends with an ellipsis. And I think it's 
Yeah. He he asked, how long do you think, how do you think this piece will last? She's like, as long as it can. And I'm thinking to myself, well, about 18 years, hard time, I guess, because we're getting another one next year. So (laughs) I mean, we'll, we'll find out exactly. So, you know, there's even, they even leave it open for Sati says, are we going to see Neo again? And she says, she says, I suspect so someday. So what, I guess that's a good Mm. segue into what the fuck is going to happen in Matrix 4? What do you want to see happen? <laughs> I mean, I mean, thoughts. Okay, it's coming I out a year That's from a when question. this episode is being released. So yeah, I, I obviously we can't, yeah, we're I, not going to try and guess what Lana Wachowski has, has uh, you know, what she's coming up with. But where, what would we, sure. I guess, kind of stuff we want to see? In the broadest sense, in the broadest sense, what I want to see is I want to see how the world has changed. I, I think I want what I what I want most out of that movie is I want a sense of ca- like as the Merovingian says, cause and effect. I I, I want to see okay, so that's what happened at the end of that story. That's how things changed. What does that look like? Like, what is what did that change about the way that the machines interact with humans? Like, is there is there like a tenuous piece now? Have things gotten better? Like, are they like like what or have things gotten worse? Like, I I, I my worry is that it'll do kind of what Force Awakens did in the sense where it's like, oh well, people liked people liked people liked when these were the stakes. Let's just make those the stakes again. You know, let's empire rebels, so on and so forth. You know, you know, I'm, I'm, my worry is that it's just going to be like, it's going to kind of requel matrix. It's just going to be like, Oh, you Mm -hmm. know, the humans are still at war with the machines and you still have to do this and still have to do this. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that because it's Lana Wachowski, who's a genius and, really smart that they find a way to move the move the story forward based on what happened at the end of the last movie in a unique and interesting way. I think that's my biggest that's my biggest want. Um in terms of like characters and stuff, I I I mean, I would love to... If Carrie Ann Moss is coming back, I would love to see more layers explored within Trinity and Neo's relationship. Uh, I want to see more cool Niobe stuff. Um... Uh, well, but I also how, how, I, think, I think I think a, I was gonna say the big thing is I think above all have, else. Sorry, go ahead. We, we have a little bit of a delay there, but go ahead. I'll, I'll wait till you're done. Oh, good. I all good. I I think I I want to. Um, I, I want to see new. I want to see new action. I want to see cool, new, innovative action. I want to like all the other Matrix movies. I want to see something that I've never seen before. Show me something mm-hmm. that I show me an action scene that is completely new and completely innovative and completely unlike anything I've ever seen. That's probably the, so. Those are my biggest wants going into the fourth movie. I guess. Yeah, for sure. I I don't want to see them try and retcon anything out of this. I know that obviously these the sequel, the two and three were less well received than the first one. So I would hope that they would still acknowledge all of this in its totality. And like you said, the repercussions of uh, of Neo's actions at the end of of the third film. Uh, I'm really curious the fact that we had uh, three main leads throughout this uh, this trilogy. Only one of which in the movies, you know, survives all three movies and is the one that's not coming back. So Keanu Reeves, I think it's pretty clear mm-hmm. how Neo can come back. How do you, how do you think Trinity, because sure. I mean, these, these can, they can do anything literally in these films. That's kind of the fun of them. Yeah. I think Trinity could either be, Trinity could even be 
a, a simulation in the matrix, not like, like how, cause she's dead in the real world. So how were they, how, how would you like to see them sort of uh, reimagine that character or, or revive her in some way? I, I, I think what you said is best. I think, I think a, 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 a recreation of her in the matrix is a, is a, is a really, is a really good way to go. I, 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 it's, with that, it's, 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 it's less what I want to see and more like what I don't want to see. Like what I don't want to see is I don't want like a, oh, the machines actually saved her and she was actually alive. Like, you know, like I, I, <laughs> that always up. feels like a bit of a, co- yeah, that always feels like, a, like, I, like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of having a similar thing with Stranger Things right now. Like I'm like, they're bringing Hopper back for season, for season four. Right. Um, and I'm like, but how are you bringing him back? Cause I'm like, how? that's that's important like are you gonna are you gonna actually make it like interesting and different or are you just gonna like cop out and say oh well that 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 death scene that didn't that didn't mean anything that didn't really happen so um uh so yeah it's it's yeah like i said it's it's more of what i don't want rather than what i want but i more than anything i just want more carrie ann moss because i think she's amazing so yeah, no, I, I, I do too. I think that uh, there's rumors that Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, who was in Watchmen on HBO and and in the new Candyman, uh, whenever that is supposed to come out now, uh, that there's rumors that his character might be a younger Morpheus or something. But I feel like that's always just the internet being like, well, we had a black character and there's a black guy in this movie, so it must be the same guy. Um, kind of like what with if Star they were Wars, the where everybody was like, it must time. be Lando's son. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, it's not nearly as complex a franchise, but it's sort of like what Fast and Furious is doing now with, with uh, Han, where it's like, he's alive. How? He jumped out of the car. He has a twin. I don't know. Who cares? Uh, yeah, I don't want them to, to uh, kind it's of Fast minimize. and Furious. Who does care? <laughs> well, exactly. Well, in that franchise, yeah, who does care? But this, yeah. this, this series has always Everyone's been about the shit. details. And, and so, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, are there any... They can do whatever the hell any, they want. <laughs> Exactly. Are there any somehow anything about Matrix Reloaded or Matrix Revolutions we haven't talked about? And I had a feeling this was going to be a unprecedentedly long podcast uh, when I suggested it. Comprehensive. Oh God, I know. Well, I mean, there's lots of all I will say is about here. Yeah. All I will say is this. If you are listening to this podcast and you're the kind of person who saw these movies when they came out and were disappointed by what they were, I would strongly recommend not only revisiting this with fresh eyes, but revisiting the whole trilogy back to back with fresh eyes. Because I think it's like... I, I, I. I think if these movies would have come out nowadays, I think they would have been a lot better received um, by both critics and audiences. I think just like audiences have gotten smarter. I think, I think critics too have gotten smarter. And I think at the end of the day, I do think these are great movies. I, I, I stand by what I say. I think this trilogy matches pace with Star Wars. I think it matches pace with Lord of the Rings. I think it is, I think it is true, true filmmaking excellence. And if it disappointed you, then I give it another chance because you might, you might be surprised. Yeah. And I wanted to add too that all three of these are on HBO Max, as is the Animatrix. And if like us, you're interested in watch. seeing Wonder Woman. Huh? What was that? 
I just said, I wish I will watch. I'm going to watch it. Right, right, exactly. And and if, like us, you're interested in seeing Wonder Woman 1984 not in a movie theater, you probably already have HBO Max or will be getting it very soon. So uh, might as well watch the Matrix movies while you're on there. Uh, Jackson Smith, can you tell people where they can find you on social media? So my Twitter uh, is... It's Jackson C. Smith, so it's a little C in the middle. Um, and then uh, if you just type in Real Screen Fever, that's uh, Adam and I's uh, Twitter account for our YouTube page. Uh, hopefully, we're going to be posting more stuff on there uh, in in the coming months. Uh, and yes, I am... And then if you search Real Screen Fever on YouTube, that's... Uh, or just Screen Fever on YouTube, that's where all, all of my video essays and uh, podcasts are. I am so fried. I, <laughs> I have talked this long about a movie with anyone for a long time. So if I'm a little jumbled, that's why. But yes, no, Jackson C. Smith 95 on Twitter and then Screen Fever on YouTube. Um, Yes. Yes. And that's where you can find everything. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. I know this went way longer than I think either Uh, of us kind of expected, but we wanted to... This was great. This was awesome. Epic epic treatment. So uh, this is... Yeah, they're epic movies. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, Jackson. I think that's pretty much all we've got. Thanks so much for coming on. We'll get you on again soon at some point. And uh, awesome. yeah, looking forward to Matrix 4 in one year. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for having me on, Robert. It was a pleasure as always. Big thanks to Jackson Smith from Screen Fever and Nightfall Entertainment coming over and spending that much time with us in 2020 to talk about The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions. Of course, that was the end of The Matrix Trilogy, but with The Matrix Resurrections right around the corner, of course, we're going to have an episode up for that uh, one day after this is posted. So keep your eyes on the Franchise Detours uh, feed for that. That will most likely be just me kind of giving my thoughts of the movie and breaking that down for you in sort of a stream of consciousness way. A little bit of outside the parameters of the franchise detours format, but nonetheless, The Matrix is that important of a franchise to me personally and to the Crooked Table brand, really, because I don't think that I would be doing this and it would exist if I hadn't gotten the inspiration from The Matrix, which is funny to think about. But either way, stick around for an episode on The Matrix Resurrections featuring probably just me uh, tomorrow. But until then, you can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table. The same handle on Instagram would be email at robert at crookedtable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Stay crooked, everyone. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-O-K-E-D. <laughs> <laughs>